Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the, another episode of the Two Abdullah Show, and we have Epileptic Prophet Part Three today. If you haven't watched Parts One and Two, do watch. Today is going to be a special episode where we're featuring uh, going over the heaviest symptoms of Muhammad's epilepsy, and also we're going to be refuting Farid and his cousin, Dr. Muhammad Al Khaja, in great detail. Uh, but this is one you definitely don't want to miss out. Before we start, I'm going to ask Samir if you have any questions or any words to say. All right. No, no, I'm excited. This is going to be good. It's going to be really good. Um, and as you, if you haven't noticed, uh, I'm now trying to upload clips. So if the best parts, we're going to post them separately as well. But do check out the full version. <clears throat> if you want to check out the podcast and you don't want to be sitting on your computer, get it on the Friendly Ex-Muslim Podcast. You can get all the audio. If you want to see the slides, which are very helpful, then definitely you want to watch it on YouTube. Uh, but other than that, I think we can get started. And I will share the slides on the screen. Perfect. So just a quick reminder of what we have been through already in parts one and two. In parts one, we did a brief introduction to epilepsy, what it is, a brief overview of the symptoms. And then we went over Muhammad's early life, Muhammad's mom, genetics and perinatal factors. And Part two, we went over some ringing bells, some of the symptoms, his psychosis, the first revelation, and uh, what kind of issues like his suicidal tendencies. Now, uh, we are going to start off at the convulsions of Muhammad, where we left off. We're going to redo this section. I added a bunch of things uh, from the feedback I got last time. And this is where we start off at. And uh, we're going to go to the next slide, slide number 94. We're going to have Dr. Abbas Sadriana just quickly explain us uh, what seizures are in very simplistic terms. And then we're going to jump right into the thick end of things. If you have one side of the brain causing the other side moving, you're going to have the grimace and shaking. And if it is the part complex, then it is going to that you are going to feel life is coming out of you. Left temporal lobe, seizures, senses, hearing voices, smell, and taste. We call them olfactory hallucinations, which is the, 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 the nose. And also, this condition in old times was called the, uh, the illness of bad taste. Mm. So in order to, for a person who lived 1,500 years ago to diagnose it, they would say that you, they taste, have bitter taste in their mouths. Does it give also a bad smell? Years ago. To and bad smell. Well. And the way that they used to overcome it was, and it still is, is for the patient to use perfume, cologne, and also sweets. So he can get rid of the bad smell and get rid of the bad taste. And his favorite food was halwa. Oh, Muhammad. Muhammad. His favorite food was halwa and asa. Asa, honey. Okay. All right. Now, every one of these that I get, I'm seeing. Oh, uh, you know, when, more, more. Uh, yes, yes. I'm getting closer. It looks mm. like that. This is this is beginning to make. 
All right. So we had a brief clip of Abbas, Adrian, Dr. Abbas, explain to us what uh, seizures can look like and some of the symptoms. Sometimes they come off as uh, olfactory hallucinations. Some of them are bad smell, bad tastes. Uh, we come back to this later on in the presentation where we talk about Muhammad's uh, issues too, where he was obsessed with perfume and uh, sweet stuff as well. But now we're going to get into the biggest <laughs> uh, yes, hopefully that uh, this is going to be an interesting night to watch for sure. Uh, you will see some uh, remarkable levels of ignorance exposed today, remarkable levels of shameless lying. And that's exactly what we're about to get into. All right. So the next slide up here is uh, like last time we saw is slide number 95. And it talks about the word, uh, pardon my pronunciation. I might make mis uh, some minor mistakes in the Arabic. It's Boraha, or which translates to, if you look on the left side, from Lane's Lexicon. It's a classic Arabic dictionary, and it says a paroxysm used in this sense by modern physicians. Uh, the um, distress of mind arising from oppression caused by inspiration of revelation, such as said to have affected the Prophet. What's ironic is this guy, he's giving Muhammad as the example for the definition in the dictionary. And he says, but most probably a paroxysm of that species of catalepsy, which physicians term ecstasy. Occurring in a tradition, you say of one suffering from fever when it is intense. The paroxysm or severe fit has befallen him. On the right side, just to give people an idea what the word paroxysm means, this is from Merriam-Webster. And it says that normally it's actually used quite a few times as a synonym for the word convulsion. And you can see how it's being given literally uh, convulsed in the paroxysm of an epileptic seizure as an example in definition again. Now we're going to go to the next slide where we have another dictionary just to confirm that this is not me making this up. Is this one again also translates that in the bottom half you see as a fit or a paroxysm. Uh, what uh, this is doing is affirming that I am not making this up. This is in the dictionary. This is precise terminology, and you'll see later on that there'll be two or three muftis and scholars who will affirm this translation as well. The next slide, though, uh, we need to watch it. We did watch it last time. We're going to watch it again. The thing you need to pay attention to is uh, that these are patients uh, having seizures. Firstly, do not make fun of them. Do not mock them. Uh, this is for education purposes only and have been retrieved from the public domain. Uh, when you see these patients, you will see that they'll be uh, trembling, shaking, they'll be stiffening, uh, and they might start foaming from the mouth, but pay special attention to the sound, especially the sound, the type of breathing anomalies that you hear. And keep in mind the sound of the snorting camel. Mm -hmm. uh, again, a fair warning that these are graphic to watch. Uh, so if you do not want to watch it, you can turn away right now. With that aside, uh, we will uh, play these. Let me know if you want me to stop once once we've played enough. Okay. 
You can pause this video now. We get the point that uh, the seizure resulted in a lot of breathing anomalies, shaking, followed by great distress in breathing. In fact, uh, she's actually uh, snorting, which sounds very similar to the sound of a camel snorting, as reported in one of the hadith. Uh, the second one is again the similar thing. This uh, video will also see that the notice also the salivation that's happening as well from the mouth. Remember this that so this will come up again today uh, in explicit detail with Muhammad. Uh, without a side, let's just watch the second video briefly and then we will get into it. ত্রিপানো কিন্তু এই সময় ওকে ধরবেনি না and again uh just to show you the point that we notice that there are again breathing anomalies uh and before that we saw convulsions and then the foaming and frothing happening now why is am i showing this is uh just for you guys to understand that the explicit narrations that we are about to see muhammad are exactly this so something you have to go off on or visualize off on how muhammad might be trembling or what a seizure looks like Another thing is it puts you somewhat in the perspective or shoes of the Sahaba or the companions is when they did see all of these states of Muhammad occurring, they would obviously be like, okay, that's weird. And how they would describe this, how, what kind of wordings they would use, right? Keeping this in mind, um, we're going to go to the next slide. Now, the fundamental problem with Farid and his cousin is they actually think that these narrations about Muhammad having these seizures where Muhammad was trembling and convulsing don't exist at all, right? So we're going to watch this clip where they're going to say that same thing and then we're going to refute them and show you guys how uh, clearly these guys are mistaken and are just completely unaware of the Islamic corpus and the literature present in, uh, in their own books. Let's play this clip. Um, Mr. Gondal says that the, that the prophet had temporal lobe epilepsy. And uh, in temporal lobe epilepsy, yes, you can have 
focal to bilateral chronic chronic seizures, so focal evolving to generalized seizures. But um, where are these seizures? Where are they? You said that the prophet had postictal psychosis. Where is the ictal uh, seizure? Where is it? All right. <clears throat> so uh, they're saying, where is the seizure? Where is the ictal seizure? Where is the convulsion? The secondary generalization. Now, what he's trying to say is, what a secondary generalization is, is the seizure might start in a localized part of the brain, but then evolve and spread over to becoming a full-on grand mal kind of seizure, which has a motor component to it, i.e. convulsions or motor movements. And he's asking me, where is it? Because they legit think that these things don't exist. So now on the next slide, you'll see a Muslim website tell them uh, what it is. So I took, I found this website. The link is in the bottom, as you can see. So we're going to start from the screenshot on the left. When the prophet received revelation, he found it very hard. His blessed face would go pale. This is called pallor or flushing. Uh, blood pressure drops and heart rate changes are very common during seizures. And that is what results. And it could go the other way where his face may go red as well and start sweating. Now, as you see, Zaid bin Sabit narrates in that green box, I wrote down the revelation in the presence of the Prophet. When the revelation came, the Messenger of Allah would shiver and shake. Like I said, what we just saw with those patients, he would shiver and shake and sweat would come down from his temples, from the sides. right? And then he says he would come around slowly. So there's one thing you got to remember, he came back to himself slowly. Then he would say, I would write. And then he would write. And then he talks about that uh, leg-breaking hadith. Now from this extended narration we find out that that wasn't miraculous at all in fact muhammad had his leg on top of the guy or some say next to him and he started convulsing and you can sometimes have stiffness which can exert a downwards pressure and carry the sensation of breaking with that said now we're moving on to the right uh, side of the screen you see ahmad uh, tabarani abu noim narrate and they say uh Oh, Messenger of Allah, do you feel when the revelation comes? And he gave the following answer. Yes, revelations comes to me, and I hear it like the ringing of a bell. And I shiver and shake severely. Then the shaking ends, and I remain calm. Uh, this is quite clearly a secondary generalization that is happening after the aura of the ringing bells, as we talked about at the end of part two. And this is one of the objections of Farid's cousin, which is being answered here again. The revelation is so heavy that whenever it comes, I think I will die this time. Sensation of dying or having your soul seized is quite common because you can barely breathe and your muscles are stiffening uh, during a seizure. It's quite a horrific event. Uh, then the next one, he says, uh, Bukhari Muslim and Abu Noim narrate the following from Yala ibn Umayyah. He said, when the Prophet received revelation once, I, was, I looked at him. I saw that he wheezed severely and his eyes and temples went red. That is quite explicitly similar with the wheezing, the breathing problems we see. Uh, it pops up again. Again, this one, this is not my word. This is not my translation. This is straight up from a Muslim website. If you want, you can open it. The link is in the description. Now, what we will do is uh, we're going to go to the next slide. And we're going to see what we have in store next. We have... Uh, can I uh, just interject for one second? I was going to say one more thing I want to mention is um, keep in mind, this is something that Bart Ullman has mentioned as well. Um it's kind of uh, counterintuitive when you want to know something, when you're trying to find the truth about something, especially a myth and especially um, about a man that's revered and, you know, almost worshipped by millions of people. 
then what you need to do is you need to look and see whether the, the statements that are being made are something that the followers would have done in order to prove a theological point. And when you have things which are not being used to prove a point, then you you can be a little bit more certain that these actually are true. So what I'm trying to say, there's no benefit to the Muslim scholars and the imams and the companions and all of the people that collaborated to give us this hadith for them to make up these things. There's zero benefit to say his, he sounded like a camel and he was spit was coming out. He was wheezing. You know, he almost fainted. None of these things have any benefit other than if they truly believe that this was important to narrate. This was a sign of his real revelation. So they narrated it. So I just want to make that one point. In their ignorance, they preserved the, his symptoms of epilepsy, thinking it's the burden of revelation. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we're going to get into the kind of thing. Slide number 100. Uh, Zaid bin Sabid narrated that I used to write down the revelation. When the revelation descended upon him, he would be seized by severe trembling convulsions and severe sweating like pearls. Uh, this has uh, been graded as authentic. Uh, we're going to go to the next slide. Uh, I'm going to go through this a little bit faster this time because we have covered this a little bit before as well. Now, here we see Khasais al Kubra by Soyuti on the left in the Arabic, and you see the same phrase again, and on the top right part, you see an Urdu scholar translating it, and we'll get to his name in a little bit. But just to show you that this is not my uh, translations, these are actual scholars. And I'm going to read this in Urdu. Uh, he says, Hazrat Zaid se rivayat hai, inho ne firmaya ke jab Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ki vahi likha karta tha, jab aap par vahi nazil hoti to aapko shadid larza lahik ho jata, aur aapdar moti ki manand pasina a jata, phir jab ye kafiyat rafa ho jati, to Nabi Kareem vahi likhwate. Basically, the translation is that I used to write the revelation for Muhammad when the uh, vahi, the revelation was descending upon him and this is explicit in the Urdu language there is very few words and this is the most explicit synonymous way of describing an epileptic seizure Shadid larza lahik ho jata the word larza is literally the word for uh, convulsions if you want to look it up you can back translate it it's almost synonymous with calling somebody epileptic uh, on the bottom right, I have shown the uh, full, in, full version of it in Sahil Bukhari, just so you know that this actually has a longer version, which shows that the tie-breaking is, uh, is nothing uh, anomalous or miraculous. Now, once we have established that, we're going to go and find out who is doing these translations, like which is this scholar like who wrote this about Muhammad, right? So we go to the next slide. Exactly, as you can see, the uh, Urdu speaker, uh, he can confirm here. It is the most, like if anybody would say, oh, what, describe an epileptic seizure, the go-to word would be that he was having larza or like. All right. Now we're going to find out who is uh, doing the translation. So we have Khasais al-Kubra, it's the same one. But on the right side, if you see in the middle, I have actually put the main intro page of the book, which gives the name of the person doing the translations. So this original book was written by Soyuti uh, way back, I think, 16th, 15th century. And then this has been translated by Maulana Muhammad Abdul Ahad Qadri. And it has been proofread by Muhammad Farooq Siddiqui, right? 
and they have used the word larza, where it says Zaid bin Sabin narrated that I used to write down the revelation of the Prophet when the revelation defended upon him, he would be seized by severe trembling convulsions and sweating like pearls. And this has been graded as Sahih from Tabrani. Uh, now we're going to go to the next slide. And I'm going to now converge two independent scholars who exist completely independent of each other, translating Suyuti's Khasayas al-Kubra about, I think, 15, 16 years apart. And they both translate that same word as larza, as convulsions. How could two muftis or these scholars converge on the same translation? I'm definitely not making this translation of Muhammad, in fact, did have these convulsions. So you see here on the left side, uh, the name of the translator, Hazrat Al-Hajj Mufti Sayyid Ghulam Moinuddin Naimi Rahmatullah And then Nazrasani Jaldawal, Hazrat Allama Shams Barelvi Rahmatullah And the proofreading in Urdu is done by Hafiz Ahmad Raza Attari Damat Barakatuhum Al-Aliyah. And the CRB Barat and Haf. Anyway. You get the point that these are the scholars that were involved in the production of this composition, and they translated it as Muhammad having straight up uh, violent convulsions, trembling when he got the revelations. Uh, as you can see, uh, we keep going. Next up, we have another reference, uh, slide number 104 from Burhan al-Quran, Fits of Revelation. Here it says, the hadith of Muslim conveys the state the Prophet endured during the coming down of revelation, and it is called the intense distress pangs of revelation, i.e. paroxysm, which is the same words being used again here that we just looked at. Now we're going to go to the next slide and see if it gets any better. All right, Itqan Filum Al-Quran, Suyuti's famous work, it has been related in uh, some narrations that he fainted and that is conveyed during the state when he was experiencing the coming down of revelation. It is called the intense distress pangs of revelation. The same word again. Let's go next. And now we have Mu'ajjim al-Awsat. And here we have it from Stabrani's book. And this has been graded as Sahih. In fact, the whole chain is in front of you if you want to look at it. Uh, same hadith, Ida Nazar he talks about Zaid bin Sabi narrated when the revelation descended upon him, he would be taken by severe convulsions and sweating like pearls. Gonna go to the next one. Another scholar we have Nubuwad Muhammad fi al Quran. He talks about feverish trembling. Zaid bin Sabit said he would be seized by severe trembling and convulsions, but in the bracket, this guy adds the word hama or hama, I think, and which means fever. So, another thing to remember is that when these people are living in the seventh century, a lot of the times when they say high fever or a sudden attack of fever, what they're describing is a febrile seizure or a convulsive kind of shivering state because when you get a high fever you have chills and you start shaking and shivering and then you also sometimes break out into suds so that's what these people are describing as well as a synonym or a parallel description to go along with just the violent convulsions this feverish state or severe fever gripping him uh next up we go to the next slide and we have again uh this is another book and it says the same narration he was seized by trembling and severe sweating like pearls and at the bottom in the footnotes it says that uh, this was uh feverish trembling and it was hard i believe now we're gonna go to the next slide this is behar al-anwar majlisi is a shia scholar and he talks about burha al-wahi and uh, he then says, 
his face would turn ashen and he said al-baraha means intensity and from it comes the hadith intense paroxysm seized him meaning anguish due to the weight of revelation now in the bottom if you notice he says that the prophets also themselves sometimes would get confused as to who is talking to them is it a genie is it satan or is it an angel this is not even new because we had the satanic verses incident with Muhammad and also that in Surah Hajj, Surah 22, verse 52, Allah admits that Satan can inject his words into the delivery system of Allah, i.e. Angel Gabriel. Going up to the next slide, we have our good old friend uh, Sira ibn Kathir coming in and he talks about feverish trembling. Uh, now, as you see, he says... Uh, because of these burdens, he would be gripped by a feverish condition and have a high temperature. That is, he would breathe hard and sweat profusely. Then it says, that is why when revelation came to him, his face would turn red and he would breathe heavily and fast like a young camel, while his forehead would stream with perspiration on an extremely cold day. And then he goes on later on to say that uh, there was trembling of his veins between the shoulder and the necks. Now, uh, point I'm getting to is these guys are describing what clearly seems like a feverish, uh, convulsive uh, state that would suddenly seize him. Um, and now I'm just going to remind you, play that video you saw of the seizure back in your head. Think about it. Think, connect the dots and see if what... Muhammad was having, uh, was it Allah actually sending revelation? Or like our friend Ali Rizvi said in the last part, why would Allah kick him in the nuts every time, you know, when he's sending him a revelation? Why can't he just give him a, an ecstatic seizure, a seizure that makes him feel nice? Because people do get those, right? Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a pause here, and we're going to take a few questions just to see how the audiences do. Any questions? Yep. All right, uh, you can hear me, yeah? Okay, so yes. uh, Sir Michael Ashraf says, a Syrian imam turned deist also made a series about this issue on YouTube. He's called Siraj Hayani, and he's amazing. Um, I believe I did uh, watch his series. He has like two videos, and I do take a couple of snippets from his videos in and incorporate it here as well. Nice. Yeah, a couple more comments and we'll continue. Desi Neo said, I didn't know there were so many references to his state during the episodes. Uh, it's too many. It's actually so many. And then it's not just the Sunni, it's the Shia Hadith and the both corpus converging on these details. And it becomes pretty clear as day that uh, there's no running out of it. There's Sahih Hadith like we saw that have affirmed this. There's uh, Shia Hadith. There's some weak Hadith that are affirmed by the other Sahih Hadith. Uh, there's numerous chains uh, going around. So what we're seeing is it's it's quite well known that Muhammad would be going through this. And now it starts making sense why there's 12 verses or 10 verses in the Quran explicitly talking about Muhammad being jinn-possessed or crazy or being accused by the people because, like we're finding out now, they were seeing all of this and they hit the nail on the head when they said, okay, something's wrong with this guy. He's not normal. That uh, brings in well into the next comment is is it strange that while hearing this i'm starting to sympathize with the Quraysh who tried to oppose muhammad they probably saw he was crazy and how dangerous he was exactly and at first they kind of left him alone you know they were like you do what your thing is but then after a while like there and uh, if you actually read uh, some of the earlier things written in sirah bin kasir it's like uh 
He said that Muhammad was so weird. He would follow people into their own houses by while speaking them about God. Or when they were at the fair, the Meccan fair, Muhammad, this is even before Prophet. Was like He was just a bizarre uh, person like that. So no, they noticed his, uh, in fact, if you notice, how many of his uncles didn't accept Islam? A couple of them did, three of them didn't, his sister didn't. So a lot of the close people that knew him uh, were kind of skeptical of him as well. Uh, not all, but uh, again, yeah, right. um, and then many of them that converted, they converted because of um, like feeling angry that the, like look at Hamza, like mm -hmm. the story of how he converted, someone was insulting Muhammad, I forget who it was, Abu Sufyan or someone, I forget, and he went and he bashed him on the head with his bow mm -hmm. because he was like, how dare you insult Muhammad? I'm Muslim too now, you, you're going to insult my nephew? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to join his tribe, right? His yeah. religion. A um, couple more comments and we can continue. Yeah. Uh, Adnan Hafiz says, what if these hadiths are faked to make him look bad? So we actually touched upon this in the uh, first part. There's a slide dedicated to it. Uh, and there's a few uh, questions asked. Firstly, theologically, what's the point of uh, manufacturing these details in such gory de in <laughs> with such gore and such vivid, uh, excruciating details to make Muhammad seem more and more like epileptic? Secondly, the thing is, uh, some of the details that come out in these hadith are so precise. In fact, on their own merit, they could be a miracle given that the people had no clue how they would appear if you were manufacturing a case about an epileptic in our era, i.e. <laughs> these people would have no way to manufacture the, the way the details appear. The details are being confirmed by modern science now so what it makes sense to me is that they actually saw it and just reported what they saw. And now we're finding out, okay, this is what it lays out in. Uh, so there's that back projection where we can kind of confirm it with convergence with medical science, the theological aspect. Uh, I don't feel, uh, if it was like a one-off or a few hadith, they were uh, like this. But when you see a multitude, uh, I would say definitely not. Okay. But we so definitely talked about uh, this in more detail for the authenticity. There was a whole slide. I actually just want to show it to him quickly. I'll just find this slide now. I was going to say, don't forget, it's also the Shia and the Sunni sources both mm -hmm. the same similarly, which makes it even less likely that this was fabricated, yeah. considering they both have opposing theologies. Not Perfect. completely opposing, but... So it's actually slide number four. Oh, I can't see you. Oh, you want me to jump to slide number four, you said? Perfect. Yeah, just to show oh, yeah, it yeah, quickly sure, sure. for I'm people, the, just a refresher, uh, yeah. Scroll back, scroll back, slide number four, present, okay, here we go. Perfect. Yeah, so this is a little bit of like a write-up I had. We talked about this in detail, so I'm going to quickly go over this. So there's going to be the corpus itself, i.e. the uh, Islamic corpus Sahih and Matwatir, if they affirm it, then the convergence of two corpuses and the corroboration where Sahih hadith are confirming weak hadith, weak hadith are too numerous, and they're confirming each other. Then there's scholarly subjectivity. Like, you know, one scholar says this is Hassan, one is saying this is Daif, one is saying this is Sahih, one is saying this is Daif, right? And then you'll see that. So we'll take that into account. And then the last point that I was talking about was uh, scientific affirmation. How can 7th century Arabs know detailed symptoms of epilepsy that we just discovered in 1970? It's impossible. The only way that makes sense is they actually saw the thing come up in front of them and they described it and that's how we know about it uh but 
Uh, that was just a quick uh, refresher on this. Now we're going to go back. I think we were at slide number 110. Uh, one last comment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I asked my mom about these hadith, and she has a master's in Islamic education in Pakistan. She told me these hadiths are taught <clears> under <throat> the guise of Prophet Muhammad being fearful of revelations. I think he means not under the guise, but, you know, under the context of, right? Or with the context of. Mm -hmm. The fear and the emotional upheaval, in fact, if you do notice, comes up again and again with the seizures because there's... Uh, people do get, uh, if I have some patient videos coming up in the second half of this presentation where we'll have uh, people experiencing the seizure and their own feeling of intense fear, intense uh, adrenaline come up and how they describe it. Uh, and it was like the most inexplicable, inexplicable, sorry. Inexplicable. <laughs> there you go. Uh, fear that they had ever experienced in their life. Okay, um, I lost yeah. the slide we were on. I don't know what slide we were on. Uh, 110. Okay, thanks. We're 111, perfect. So, okay, 111? <clears throat> okay. Right on. So, uh, now we're back to it. We have Hashia Qununi, and this is again talking about severe fits of revelation. It says, from the intense distress pangs of revelation, and Burha is with them. It means the intensity of the revelation. Right on. Next up, we go to Tafsir and Shinqiti. I think this is a pretty famous scholar. Uh, and this one just gives it to us straight. You know, he says, when the revelation came to him, he was gripped by severe trembling and convulsions and would go red as though it had gilded him in deep color. Now, a lot of the times when you have a seizure, what starts happening is your uh, auto autonomous nervous system gets activated, i.e. your breathing, your heart rate, your perspiration, those kind of things, right? So when your heart rate goes up, there's vasodilation that might happen. You have flushing in your face or your face goes red. You start sweating. There's something called ictal hyperthermia that could happen as well. But uh, these are some things we will get into. We have separate sections dedicated later on. But just to show you that, that they're occurring together. Uh, now, next slide, we have Kitab al-Maghazi. And this is one of the earliest books we know. Uh, translated by Rizvi Faitar, Amal Ismail, Abdul Qadir Tayyib. And uh, these guys are actually scholars as well. <clears throat> All right. And what does it say? Go ahead. Uh, I'll it comment says, a convulsion seized him until we thought that he had a revelation about it. He regained his composure and sweat dripped from his brow like pearls. And then he goes on. Uh, and as we see again, this is another early source uh, talking about uh, Muhammad having convulsions. Uh, now, when we go to the next slide, let's see what we have next. Now, we have another scholar of Islam. He's not a Muslim scholar. He's a secular scholar. Uh, name is Daniel Peterson, and he wrote a book about Muhammad, the prophet of God. And how does he describe it? Uh, the angel Gabriel is specifically identified as having delivered the Quran to Muhammad. Frequently, when revelation came to him, he would undergo violent trembling, seeming attacks of fever, and severe chills. He suffered great pain, sometimes feeling as if he had been struck with a severe blow, heard loud noises, and even on very cold days, sweat profusely. The descriptions given in Quran 73.1 and 74.1 of his wrapping up in a mantle may refer to a preparation to receive divine revelation in the manner of the old Arabian Kahins. <laughs> his enemies repeatedly accused him of being possessed, Majnoon, a soothsayer Kahin, or a magician Sahir. Uh, very interesting the way he writes it, and he gives a, quite a good brief description of it. 
but again, I'm just telling you this one that this is from secular sources affirming it too. So we have a few different lines. We have the Sunni line, we have the Shia line, we have the uh, secular line. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to go to the next slide, slide number 115. The Remanshu sees by trembling. This is if uh, Surah Duha, I believe, uh, the Surah Tasid. This is going to be a repeating uh, one. This is actually a very famous narration. It occurs over and over again in so many tafsirs. I was just flabbergasted when I found it. Uh, it says uh, that Prophet came with his beard trembling. That whenever the revelation descended upon him, he was seized by trembling. These are explicit words. who means seized. Rada means uh, thunder, trembling. Uh, pretty explicit. Uh, this has a few variants as well, this hadith. So. Let's so I couldn't I couldn't help yeah. but laugh uh, after you're saying all the different lines. We have Fadid line too. We have secular <laughs> line. We have the Sufi Shia. We have the Fadid line. <laughs> the the Fadid line is just I don't know. I don't know. This doesn't exist. <laughs> all right. Now we have another another reference. Hashim Muhyiddin Sheikh seized by trembling every time he heard the voice of the angel and looked upon him. He was gripped by tremors and fever. So this is interesting. Uh, yeah, he I literally adds the word. The yellow part you see in the sentence is he was gripped by tremors, and the red word I've highlighted is uh, which means fever. So, uh, pretty interesting that he also put the trembling next to the fever. So, which it reminds us again that when they use fever or severe fever, they might be referring to severe trembling as well. Let's go to the next slide. And now we have another guy. Now, this is Hashia Savi of Tafsir al Jalalain. And again, Surah Doha, same kind of thing. But this one now has a variant wording. Listen to this one. It says, So this is changed from Akhastahu being seized by it to greeted or overtaken or overwhelmed by trembling. This one. Now, we're going to go to the next slide and see what. Okay, do hold, we on, have. hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. You went too fast here. What did you just read? So I read Hashia Savi and I read the highlighted part. And uh -huh. this is a variant of the previous one where the word uh -huh. was ra'da or who is seized from in the Quran as well. And this one okay. is uh, So this is Duha Fuel? Yeah, yeah. So this is the Tafsir of Surah. Okay, okay. That's what I was trying to get at. Okay, so this is, uh, okay. And, and Hashia Sabi is the name of the, the tafsir. This is the Hashia, so like it's like the what do you call it? Footnotes or notes yeah, on yeah, yeah. the tafsir of Jalalain. Yeah. And what's he what is it? What does that mean? What he's saying? So he's saying that they're talking about the uh coming down of revelation, and in the tafsir of Surah Doha, this keeps oh. repeating that when he would get the revelation, he would have his beard tremble and uh him having convulsions okay. and he, and this okay, repeats so the, in a few so, variants. So Surah Duha says, your Lord has not taken leave of you, nor has he distested you, right? Or he hasn't mm -hmm. basically abandoned you. So yeah. the, the seal for this verse, probably this verse, not the next one, because the next one's mm -hmm. about the hereafter, is better than this life. In a the Tafsir, this verse is explaining, like this is what he was suffering mm -hmm. through, and that's the connecting this to the revelation of the Quran in Surah Duha. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, got it. Yeah. Right. And now we have another one. This is Ibn Adil, Bab fi Ulum al Quran. And this one talks about, I believe, this is about Surah Muzammil al Ayat 1, 2, 4. He heard the voice of the angel and looked upon him. He was gripped by trembling. So this is pretty clearly seizing, and he's seeing an angel. He's being gripped by trembling. 
pretty self-explanatory. And then the next slide is the same guys that have seen just he repeats the same narration again. Whenever the revelation uh, descended upon him, this is a statbil to Huran. So this is another Mufassir, a different guy repeating that same uh, uh, narration again. Now we're going to go to the next Hadith. And it's kind of becomes actually after a while, it's like, holy shit, like there's so many references. How did we not know this? <laughs> did he not know this? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> So right now we are at Qiyab. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name. It's, it's written translated. Uh, this one is the prophet came with his beard trembling and whenever the revelation came, he would be seized by trembling. So again, another one affirming that his beard was trembling. Too. Now, this is an interesting detail, which we discussed last time too a little bit, is this might be alluding to when you start shivering, right? If you have a big beard, it'll start shivering too. And in some of the variants of this uh, this hadith, the words have been translated as his jawbone was trembling rather than his beard trembling. So that gives me the idea that his teeth were actually clattering. We'll get to that in the next section, actually. <laughs> we'll go to the next slide, and we have Kitab al-Maghazi again. And again, one of the earlier sources. When the revelation came down upon him, it was extremely distressing for him. And we knew that about him. So the people knew that when he gets revelation, like, you know, he's a little bit messed up. So he would turn away, withdraw behind us. He said then he would cover his head with a thobe and that would continue to be intensely distressing for him until we knew that it had descended upon him. Now, this is a very interesting one where the prophet's covering his own face. Uh, but what we need to take away from this is the intensity and then that he hides it and he doesn't want to be seen. That's as if it's an embarrassing experience for him. And it's just weird, you know, Allah could have made it so much better, like a blissful, happy experience. Like we see a lot of the cult leaders, you know, these days, they do come up with these revelations, but they come up with these joyful scenarios and whatnot. So uh, this also oh, actually is this saying like, is this saying after he got the the seizures, he like he would because when how is the timing of that? Like when he's getting, because he, he didn't, he didn't know in advance it was going to happen, right? Unless yeah. it's like, unless the ringing bells was a sign that it was going to happen. Did he yeah. know it was going to happen in advance? So, so people do get auras. And in fact, some of the people will know that a seizure is coming. Uh, but what here it says that when he would start having a seizure, or if he would feel he might have a seizure, he would seclude himself. He said, then he would cover his head with a thobe and that would continue to be intensely distressing for him. But what it seems like, and from the other hadith, when you will get to the snorting hadith, where they would throw a sheet over his face to hide his face while he was snorting like a camel, is probably a converging detail here. That is, he would cover it and then his condition would deteriorate further. And that would continue to be intensely distressing for him. So his face was being covered either by himself or by somebody else to uh, save him from being seen, as we will see in the later hadith. Damn, I can just imagine like the the sight of this guy like shaking and coming, they're like trying to cover him up, and it's almost <laughs> like it's, it's almost comical. But anyways, I'm not gonna laugh at this. All right, now we're gonna go to the next one. This is a uh, Christian source. So actually, yeah, we have four lines now. We have a Christian scholar from the 1800s. Uh, he's a Christian scholar of Islam, and he lived in the uh, in India, I believe. Uh, his name is Carl Fander. And he wrote a book, Mizanul Haq, in Arabic, and the translations in Urdu. And uh, I'm just going to focus on the right side. Uh, so, when the Quran was before the descent of the Quran, Muhammad was afflicted of the evil eye, and that after the descent of the Quran, he still had this disease that he would become unconscious for a time, that he would tremble, his eyes being closed, and his mouth foaming. 
and that he would bellow like a young camel. Again, in the same book, it is written upon the authority of Aisha, when Gabriel descended, he would become exceedingly oppressed, sweat ran off his brow, his eyes became wild, and sometimes he would bellow like a young camel. And also upon the authority of Zaid, at the same time when a revelation descended upon him, he became as one in great agony and then losing his senses, and he became as one intoxicated. Abu Huraira says, while the revelation was descendant to him, none of us could look upon him because his mouth foamed, his eyes closed, and sometimes he would cry like a young camel. Uh, and on the left side, if anybody wants to, there's detailed, uh, you can see the yellow parts, uh, relevant parts are highlighted in the Arabic as well. All right. Uh, this is a Christian source, but what I'm trying to affirm here is there's a lot of people who have found these narrations in history as well and have highlighted them. Like I said, this guy wrote this book a couple of hundred years ago, and he was writing about this. Now, next up, we have another hadith uh, from uh, Tabarani, Mu'ajjim al Qabis. Uh, one says, Wakana yashtaddu nafsahu. So that, that used to shake him severely when the revelation came to him, and he would sweat intense sweat like pearls. And its transmitters are reliable. Next, we go to another hadith. Uh, this is Sirat, uh, sorry, Sirat Halabiyah. And the left is the uh, Arabic, and the right is the Urdu translation. So, what's happening is like uh, you can use the Urdu translation to kind of affirm a secondary way of uh, solidifying what the word actually means. On the left side, it says that. Uh, and whenever revelation descended upon him, he was greeted, overtaken by trembling. And in a narration, it says he showed signs of restlessness. His face color would change, his eyes would close, and he would deep, he would breathe deeply like a camel. Right. So now I'm just gonna read the Urdu translation. Muslim Sharif me Hazrat Abu Huraira se rivayat hai ki jab Rasoolullah par wahi nazil hoti, to ham me se koi is vakt aapki taraf nazar bhar kar nahi dekha. So none of us could look, could dare look at Muhammad when he was being inspired because it was just such a weird incident. This is a third scholar in Urdu who has affirmed the word larza, which is the most explicit way of saying somebody was having convulsions. Uh, and that's the translation of the highlighted bit. And then he goes on that, uh, and it's basically the continuation of the translation. Uh, with that aside, we're going to go to uh, 125, slide number one. So, Sorry? When you when you were researching this and you were finding scholar upon scholar upon scholar, like what did you feel? What were you thinking when you were like, were you like, wow, this is incredible. Like, how is it that there's so much... What, what were you feeling? What was going on through your head? It, it was a lot. Like, I was like, holy shit. So when I went in there uh, doing these things, it took about, it was, it was hard to be in this uh, in this guy's head for <laughs> once. Uh, but doing this, like cross-referencing, looking up the Arabic words and going on Google Books and finding the Google Books and going on archive or then finding the book and then cross-referencing just to confirm the translation back with the Urdu scholar, then finding another Urdu scholar trying to, Go look the word up in the dictionary. It was it was quite a quite a lot, but uh, I was surprised myself. I did not expect to find this much. Like I was blown away myself. I was like, okay, you know what? Like he'd be epileptic. We'd find a few write ups about this. Stuff. But when I when I got into it, I'm like, holy shit! 
this is a gold mine. Like, what the hell? And when I was putting all of these, these 400, 415, 20 slides together, it was just, it, it became more and more clear to me that Muhammad is a very clear case of a neurological disorder rather than, than a prophet. And in fact, what happened was uh, he was just misunderstood by the people of his time. And not just that, if he had occurred in, let's say, Rome, Egypt, uh, or a little bit better parts, or Persian Empire, he would not have gotten to be a prophet because they would have known that he's epileptic. Because people around Arabia at the time knew a lot more than the Arabian people. So again, it's like he said, the overlap of symptoms and the accuracy and details are scary. It was, uh, I'll say this, if somebody could uh, say that, okay, if somebody had epilepsy as a historical figure, the best case you could ever find would be Muhammad's. I'm going to make this claim now. One of the most robust, most historically thorough cases of epilepsy, thanks to the Muslim people's zeal to preserve his life, is also Muhammad's case. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next slide. Uh... We were 124. Yeah, we'll go to slide number 125. We have Tafsir Fath by another famous scholar, uh, Shaukani. He's very famous. He's also quite recent as well. He narrates the same thing in the, I think, yeah, Surah Muzammil. He heard the voice of the angel and looked upon him, and he was gripped by trembling. Then he uh, ran to his wife saying, Zammiluni, uh, Dathiruni, cover me, cover me. Next up, we have Tafsir al-Munir. And this one, again, repeats that narration twice. He heard the voice of the angel and looked upon him, and he was gripped by trembling. Now, one thing I want to tell you is a lot of these narrations are being repeated, but the point I'm repeating it from different books is to showcase that how many different scholars thought to write this about Muhammad and put this again and again in their books. And this adds to the, uh, uh, the authenticity in a way of the narration as well. Now we go to uh, 127, uh, Tafsir al-Alusi. I believe this one is, uh, is a Shia narration, Shia had uh, Tafsir, not 100% sure, but I think so. This one says the prophet came with his beard trembling, and whenever the revelation came, he would be seized by trembling. All right. So it's another variant. So that's Takbil Tuhurada, Khastuhurada. Then we have the next slide Tafsir Fatah Bayan by Siddiq Hassan Khan. And this is 1307 Hijri. So this is pretty recent, too. And in this one, he says again, he heard the voice of the angel and looked upon him and he was gripped by uh, trembling. Now, next one is a famous, famous guy, Tafsir al-Qurtubi. Uh, it's a fan favorite of the Salafi boys. <laughs> uh, even he repeats this hadith in the Surah Muzammil. Uh, he heard the voice of the angel, looked upon him, he was gripped by trembling. Then uh, another next step is again Tafsir al-Qurtubi, but this is the other narration. Now, this is the same scholar, but a different, where he says, the prophet came with his beard trembling, and whenever the revelation came, he would be greeted, overtaken by trembling. All right. And next, another one, uh, we have Bidaya wa Nihaya bin Kathir, or Tariqa bin Kathir, if you want to call it in Urdu. And in Urdu, basically, it says that... Uh, <clears throat> At the time of the revelation, his face turning pale and a trembling on his blessed body from his neck to his jaw is explained why this statement. They're talking about that the prophet's muscles from his uh, from his neck all the way upper ke dhar tak, so upper jaw part, 
and the trembling of his body is explained via uh, this statement. And they're talking above before, inna sanulkiyalaikakol and saqila. It's a verse of the Quran they're trying to explain here. Uh, now, on oh, slide 132, we have uh, Life of Muhammad. This is written by Haikal, which is a very famous historian. He's, a, he's pretty well known. He's Egyptian, I believe. And he just writes, like, just no, you know, pretty explicit. Uh, Muhammad had not moved from a spot when revelation came to him, accompanied by the usual convulsions. Like this guy thinks every time Muhammad has convulsions, then it's okay. As for my parent, as uh, when the prophet recovered from his convulsion, they looked pale enough to die before the gossip was proven true. And this is an interesting one where twice it's being told to us that Muhammad's usual convulsions, it was like a normal thing for him to occur. Uh, now we're going to go on the uh, next slide. It's uh, slide number 133. Do you, do you feel like um, this is an example of one he was making up? Because this is an example where he needed <laughs> he needed proof of innocence for his wife, right? Mm -hmm. uh, hey, Aisha, I got a surprise for you. Allah told me you're innocent. Actually, it's not for her. It's actually for the community. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't care what she thinks. She, like, You know what I mean? She was a child compared to him. But um, to me, wouldn't this isn't this more like an example of him potentially <laughs> making so it, up? it? It could be. And then another thing is that in times of uh, severe distress, especially yeah. uh, stressful situations for people like this that can't make sense of them, stress can trigger seizures, oh, yeah. right? So that could be one explanation because if you read the whole story, there's a lot of crying going on and whatnot. Now, I see another comment from my friend Adnan Hafiz. I just wanted to point out. I recall Muhammad. Yes, we covered this as well. Uh, so post-tictal psychosis and stuff, we do have dormant phases uh, where people have bouts of no seizures. And then despite having no seizures and being normal for a few days, then suddenly they'll start being psychotic. Uh, and then there's different forms of seizure uh, psychosis. There's interictal, bimodal, uh, post-tictal. Uh, but yeah, that's fully actually very well explained. Uh, we have a slide. We talked about this as well at the uh, beginning of part two, if, uh, if you want to go into a little bit more detail on that. But with that aside, we're going to go to part of site 133, Sharhan Nisai, so it's a footnote or tafsir of, of Nisai, severe feverish condition. Aisha, may God be pleased with her, wanted by this salute to his enormous suffering, distress and anguish during the coming down of Revelation. And that is because when Revelation came to him, he used to experience hardship and became overwhelmed by anguish due to the weight of which was thrust upon him. He was afflicted like the one who is in a state of fever, just as it's related that during the Revelation, he was gripped by intense perspiration, i.e. sweating, meaning strained breathing and sweat from the intensity and more of that which is called the sweat of fever. For that reason, his forehead would profusely exude perspiration. And the Muslim explanation for Muhammad going through all of these, these hard uh, states is that Allah was testing his fortitude and perfect character and getting him ready for the prop. Just not, don't even try there. It's so foolish. <laughs> all right. Now, the next slide, uh, we're almost at the closing end of this section. Uh, it says overwhelmed by trembling. So this one, another variant I found. So there was astakbiltuhu, akhastuhu. That this one is slidatta in the middle. Astabatanhu arada. Pardon my Arabic, but this is on the right side. I believe it's Shia. I believe on the left might be as well. But I saw you fatal body. 
the left side says Sunni reference. So what I'm trying to show you guys is that uh, there's a third wording variant. Even though this has been um, criticized by some scholars as being weak, it has been uh, narrated by so many different scholars with different variations in wording and is corroborated by Sahih Adib and Sunni and Shia both have narrated it. So we can definitely take this as it probably did in fact happen. With that aside, I wanted to show you another hadith, uh, another one, uh, 135, next slide. And we talk about the, and this is just going to show you a little bit more subjectivity of, of the corpus itself than what I had to go through when I'm sifting through this, when I'm especially trying to merge the Shia side of the story too. So like we have two different narrations about the Surah Duha being revealed, but the tafsirs will predominantly favor one that is where he's trembling. But then uh, Suyuti so says that one is not the most sahih. But even if, despite that, if you look on the right side, we have Sahih Muslim narration that is uh, alarmingly similar to the one on the left side, where it says, uh, when I swept beneath the couch, the death, dead puppy emerged. Then the prophet came and his beard was trembling, as it always did when the revelation coming. For now God revealed to him the first verses of Surah Duha. On the right side, you see the prophet was waiting for Gabriel, and they found a puppy underneath his cot again. And then... so. What I'm trying to show you guys is that not always, you know, you'll get the full details of the, uh, of the Sahih Hadith in one go. You'll have to fetch for it sometime and you have to find the corresponding section or corresponding half in less of the Shia ones. And we will get to that later on quite a few times. Uh, but with this aside, I just wanted to show you this nuance. Uh, and we're going to conclude this section with one more from Islam Web, uh, just to show you guys that this again is uh, from Majma Zawaid, and this is the Akhasu Baraha and Shadida, the trembling one, the trembling hadith. Bottom right, it says, Rabahu Tabrani fil Ausat, that this is in fact Nirba Tabrani, and this is in fact reliable. Uh, this concludes the convulsion section of Muhammad. And as we saw, that there's just so much evidence, there's so many scholars writing about him constantly trembling all right you want to take uh, some comments before yeah. we continue perfect so we're going to take some comments now and then next after that we're getting into a new section with some more farid drama coming up so let's take some questions before we get into that all right so a couple of questions so let's just go i'm going to go back go back hold on so there was an interesting okay so first comment is a critical comment uh, from, I think, a supporter. He's saying, I fail to see the significance of all these references. It's like one account that people keep referencing. So he's saying that there's like one or two primary accounts mm -hmm. of this, and then everybody's referencing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's actually a few different narrations, and you can see that they're going to repeat. But a lot of the times they'll have the same narration, but uh, with different chains occurring as well. So it's not just one line coming up with the same word. It's two or three different lines, right? And you'll see that uh, when we went up there, the same hadith, uh, in fact, one of the sahih ones, is narrated from a two different chains. One is weak, one is sahih, but they have the same wording. So there's two chains, in fact, right? And you'll see this. But yeah, no, you're right. There's a lot of, uh, there's few primary sources. So I just want to think there's the Maghazi one, the Khasa Burha, you can say there's about like 10 references that you could say are primary and the rest are recurring ones. Uh, are you including the hadith as well? Or, so or? yeah, there's hadith, okay. and the tafsir, but the tafsir yeah. are referencing the hadith, right? Yes. Yeah. yes, yes. So 
the point of adding to this is why are these scholars and keep referencing the same same again and again again is because they actually either I believe it to be true or that is what happened right so uh so yeah I was gonna say the reason why uh we are using also tafsir and scholarly interpretations we don't want to straw man the mm -hmm. religion we don't want to make up something and say, hey, look, this is what we believe. And like nobody ever considered this. But we're, mm -hmm. we're giving you such a strong case that it's not just this is what the hadith says. This is what the hadith says. This is what the tafsir says, which is tafsir of the Quran. This is what the scholars have that have interpreted this. This is what modern historians, this is what non-Muslim historians, this is we're trying, this is these are what neurologists are saying. We're giving you an airtight case. A case so powerful that nobody can say you're just reading things into the sira. You're just reading between the lines a little mm -hmm. bit too closely. We are, that is the reason for referencing not just primary sources, because that would be easy. Like, okay, and you know, you you do find people that do these things where they'll they'll quote certain hadith and they'll come up with a conclusion that doesn't make any sense that no Muslim believes in. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Muslims believe in the Prophet had epilepsy, but with they do believe in these accounts and and so we're trying to kind of bring some weight do you agree with what i'm saying there yeah yeah so essentially like we're bringing in the sunni side of things and we're bringing the shia primary secondary sunni primary secondary we're bringing some secular scholars we're bringing christian scholars that recorded this we bring so we have a few different lines and it gives you a bigger broader perspective and a bigger picture as to what the uh the permeation of this kind of material or what level was this discussed by the scholar? Like, is it like, is it just me discovering this one narration that was not known by any scholar for 1500 years and Gondol came out with this amazing, this is not what's <laughs> happening, right? Happening is people have known about it. It's just in what context historically they came up and whatnot. And the way, when we progress further, you'll actually know that there's a lot more primary sources that then start diverging from each other and then they reconverge. So we're actually only on slide 136 we have 415, so <laughs> we only have one more hour to go. So let's, uh, any other questions? Yeah, quickly. A uh, couple of people said, this, uh, this guy said it first, La Kim Nark. Is it possible for Gondol to make a paper that can be peer-reviewed and published into a scientific journal? Yes, yes. So uh, this is actually a thing in progress as well. So firstly, uh, I have some people working with me on that. After this series is done, we're going to get together and do that. Then we also have to get a paper from Dr. Hassan Aziz redacted that he wrote about the epilepsy of Muhammad, which I will refute at the end of the series. And it's it commits three, four critical flaws, which when pointed out, the journal will be like, okay, this is a hit on the credibility of the journal. We'll have to take it down. That will happen after the uh, end of the thing. And I mean, we I've already have... Uh, I might try to contact Dr. Abbas, uh, Dr. Dedekor could see if they want to do a collab, maybe do another collab with uh, Dr. Sorry, Brother Rashid, see something comes out of it. But yeah, definitely is a, is a thing on the that we can yeah. definitely think about writing a paper for sure. Right. What is the life expectancy of one is epilepsy? How did he live so long if he had it? Uh, it depends and varies, you know, like what intensity. We can't speculate these things. We don't know what was causing his epilepsy. Was it a tumor? Was it sclerosis? And is, was it encephalitis? Was it a childhood lesion? Was it, what was it, right? So we can't know if it was a tumor, he'd be dead in a year. If it was something else, it was could be a bunch of things. Uh, epileptic people can end up living very long because we have cases that we will get to in the latter half. So just want to, 
let people know that people who have the question, how did Muhammad create the Quran if he was epileptic? How did he live so long? How can epileptics do this? How can people having seizures create this, be smart, be this? All of this is addressed in a specific special section that brings you contemporary historical uh, cases of people proven diagnosis with by doctors of their time as well, uh, as well as post-Temis. And then we discuss their similarities and how their lived experiences were. And despite of their shortcomings, they were able to create these amazing works of literature, which literally, I'm going to say right now, Dostoevsky, Lord Byron, Lord Tennyson, uh, Gustav Avert, Machado Diaz. These are people that if they didn't exist, half of your literature in the world wouldn't exist. They, yeah. A lot of literature stands on the foundations of these people, right? Yeah. Uh, two more things, two more comments, yeah. and then we can just... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Ram Rana, thank you for the $5 super chat. Isn't it the biggest irony that document the epilepsy in the se 7th century is probably the only real scientific medical in the Quran? That's actually hilarious, yeah. <laughs> Um, and this one, maybe it'd be it'd be good. Just um, uh, where did it go? Oh yeah, it'd be good to kind of talk about this. Mahin says, "I I have epilepsy and I haven't had those symptoms. Like yeah. they, I guess she means ringing bells or oilers or foaming mm -hmm. from the mouth." Uh, Mahin, I don't know if you saw the video, but you want to comment on this? Yeah. So in part one, we discussed that there are different types of epilepsy. You can have temporal lobe epilepsy, occipital lobe. You can have complex partial, petite mal, simple partial. You can have generalized. You can have just opsan seizures so there's uh so many different types of uh forms as it could come out as that it might not overlap it might be a completely different form of epilepsy uh do check out part one we discussed this in a decent amount of detail uh, and we actually do go over different types of seizures tonic clonic clonic atonic uh and all different forms and again, one thing you have to remember that not all the seizure symptoms are going to manifest at the same time because you might have one type of seizure and have, let's say, a generalized seizure and you start foaming at the mouth and convulsing. But then you can also have, let's say, a petite mal seizure where you just blanked out or zoned out for a few minutes and you didn't have a generalization after that, right? So you can have distinct uh, seizures that are separate from each other that don't overlap at times. But this is just a very simplistic explanation. Uh, but you can look into it. There's a lot of different types. Yeah. Which is why uh, we are referencing not just the Islamic scholars, but neurologists, mm -hmm. doctors. We had Dr. Ali Rizwi who said, yeah, like the ringing bells and things like this is a slam dunk case. Like, I mean, he's not diagnosing it because you can't diagnose per se someone that's dead. But you can, you know, have a high probability, um, you, know, um, mm -hmm. you know, case. Okay, so last one. Thomas, uh, Ivory, thank you for your, I think, Malaysian um, 15 uh, incredible work. I look forward to seeing how others perceive this. And that is the last comment we're going to take for now. And mm -hmm. we will get back to the slides. Unless thank anything you else so you want to add? No, thank you so much for the donation and appreciate the nice comments. It's it's going pretty nice. We're going to get to some more juicy bits now, uh, more Farid action. So clattering teeth. Uh, this is an automatism that can occur. Uh, especially when the seizures start spreading where people have uh, grinding rhythmic movements. But we'll get to it now. Uh, let's start off with the next slide, slide number 138, and see what Farid has to say. Ooh, ooh okay. Let me just uh, play that. Um, thanks for cleaning that up. Let's carry on, please. So let's go to the next point. 
You see, when the revelation came to the Messenger of Allah, one could hear what sounded like a, the groan of bees before his face. And to me, this sounds like his teeth were jittering. If you do this fast enough, and you call the true guidance part four, there's, now these are certain, you see the Messenger of Allah receiving the revelation. Can we go back, can go back to that? It'll sound like yeah. a very... Well, wow, I, I, I want. Uh, 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 probably what it is, but it's bizarre um, the report itself is supposed to suggest that this is a miraculous event. Omar is saying, whenever a revelation occurs, we can hear a sound coming from him. And it sounds like bees. So, so Gondal is turning that into a symptom for epilepsy. Is, is there more um, to, to say about this? Just that he's a liar. That's what he does the best. He lies. That's All right. So like you saw, uh, they were saying <laughs> that I'm a liar. I'm lying. Uh, that's what he does best. You, know, you interpreted it wrong. You translated it wrong. Now, what I'm going to point out to you guys is Farid and his cousin are so ignorant. They think that these hadith don't exist. Why did I say that? Because I knew the extra material that I didn't show at that time. Because, of course, I was limiting it to a two-hour, three-hour presentation. Now, let's switch to the next slide and find out who's a liar. So just to give people a little bit of history, that two-hour, three-hour presentation has now gone into a nine-hour. So far, we're like at six hours, so we're not done yet. So now the guns are coming out. Like, dumb, dumb. Oh, yeah, the guns are coming uh -oh. out. So now that they've made fun of me for clattering teeth, <laughs> who they should be making fun of is their own prophet. In Itqan, Al-Quran, Suyuti's book, from Ibn Sa'd, from Aisha, who said that when the revelation descended upon the prophet, his head would twitch, start spinning, his color of his face would go pale or dust-colored, and his teeth would start clattering, and sweat flowed from his head like beads of pearls. His transmitters are reliable. This is an explicit admission where it says that his teeth were clattering, yet I'm the one who's the liar. Now, let's go to the next slide. This is the same book, but a different... Uh, now, on the left side, you see that the Urdu scholar has also translated this, and I'm going to read that out to you. And here he says, Yani jis waqat Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam par wahi utarti thi, to aapka sar chakrane lagta, aur chahre ki rangat zard par jati, Dant cut katane lagte or is kadar pasina a jata ke uske katre motyunki dano kitara tapakte. This guy he says right here, Dant cut katane lagte from Ibn Sa'd from Aisha, his head would start, it's the same thing, but it's can teeth would start clattering. Okay, so one's the Urdu, then right underneath it is the Arabic, just for those who are interested. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse for this guy. We have Musnad Aisha, this is written by another scholar as well. Uh, we're going to ignore the first one. We're going to go to the second one from Aisha, who said the revelation descended upon the Prophet. His head would start twitch spinning, his face would go paler colored, and his teeth would start clattering. 
Now, what's funny is this scholar doesn't stop at just narrating. He then explains what it means. If you look at the uh, bottom left, he said, and he would feel cold inside, meaning his teeth. That means he would clatter his teeth due to the cold. And then later on, he goes about a slumber. This is another scholar saying that his teeth are clattering, and he's explained it. Now we go further. We go to a Shia uh, reference mostly. Uh, it's going to be the next slide. Thank you so much for the kind comment. We have Asbabul Nuzul by Wahidi. Here, I've just zoomed it in on the right side. And it says, the prophet came in with his jawbone trembling. Revelation came to me. He shivered. This is the one we've been mentioning from before. But again, we have more evidence of his jawbone trembling, not just his beard this time. We have another one from Tafsir al-Qurtubi. Next one we went over about the uh, beard trembling, which alludes to that as well. And now we come to buzzing of the bees. Right, So this is the hadith which goes about when the revelation came to Muhammad, one could hear what sounded like the drone of bees before his face. So what was creating that sound? There's two options here, okay? Uh, a, it could be the clattering of his teeth, as we now know that his teeth did in fact clatter, which is just embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when revelation comes to me, my teeth start clattering. Another thing is uh, that bruxism or teeth grinding. Now, if we go to the next, I'm going to, what I at least try to do is I don't talk out of my ass. I try to bring a reference for each and everything. So if we go to the next slide, I bring a reference for us. Was the buzzing sound rhythmic humming? And if you want to read the whole thing, I'm just going to read the, the conclusion. These findings suggest that the occurrence of humming during epileptic seizures of the temporal lobe is associated, and this does happen. Uh, and just to, let me see. Humming is a rare automatism occurring in partial seizures that has received little attention, right? So this is one speculative answer that could explain what that sound was. Now, another one, and the next time, so this is humming, then the next one will be teeth grinding, slide 146. On the left side, we just quickly mentioned seizures, what you should know. Uh, and they said that uh, during a seizure, you might jerk or shake. You might repeat movements like smacking your lips or grinding your teeth. And the right side, it's a, I think it's Spanish, but they do have it translated. Uh, the absence. We describe a patient suffering from drug-resistant temporal lobe epilepsy whose seizures displayed bruxism as the constant and main clinical feature. I this kind of sound, rhythmic teeth grinding, something like that. Right. So this concludes the section on the teeth clattering. Now, again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, as you can tell, the liar on this side of, is, again, clearly it's not a liar, it's actually ignorance. These guys don't know the depth of the argument. Farid doesn't know that, his cousin doesn't know that, or either they know that and they just purposefully hide it. Uh, but as you can see, these will, they will keep uh, making ad hominems and just blatantly saying things don't exist when they do. Uh, any other questions before we get into another interesting section? I just want to highlight the super chat, this chat. That's probably how Mo lost his front teeth and not in the battle. He was clattering too much. <laughs> oh like, my God. Uh, that was funny. But yeah, no, I think we should continue. This is, there's no, we'll, we'll do another break soon. But yeah, let, perfect. We'll, we'll, um, yeah, keep going. Right so now fainting. So syncope or fainting is a very common occurrence with seizures. You may lose consciousness in some types of seizures. You may not lose 
So in partial or um, petite mal seizures, you generally don't or less likely to lose consciousness. In generalized seizures with secondary generalizations, you're more likely to lose consciousness, right? Uh, but what I'm going to tell you is Muhammad had not fainted just once, not twice. He had a fainting problem. Like he would faint mm -hmm. a lot. So I'm just going to give you, a, before we start this section, this section runs from slide 147 all the way to 176. So we're going to so, go the just him yeah. fainting. So this is this is perfectly normal. A guy that just keeps fainting all the time. Definitely profit material. Like someone you should, you know, <laughs> the creator of the heavens and earth is talking to. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, this is this is obviously a sign of what would you say? Poor mental health. Yeah. What, what is something this? neurological. Something's wrong. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is one narration that talks about the stones Muhammad was carrying and he fainted before prophethood with his uh, eyes raised to the sky and we discussed this in much more detail in the first part where the angel had actually slapped Muhammad across the face and then his cousin or his uncle thought that Muhammad had gone insane that's an instance of fainting now uh, next up we're gonna go to 149 slide in Ibn Asak, we are told, I just zoomed it out on the right side, that Muhammad would faint, and he fainted twice when he went to this wedding. And as soon as he heard music, Allah smote his ears. Let's see, I never gave a thought to what people of the pagan era used to do, but twice. God came between me and my desires. I go and spend the night in Mecca as other young men do. I went off with that intent, and when I came in from the first house in Mecca, I heard the sound of tambourines and flutes, and was told that a marriage had just taken place. I sat down to look at them, and God smote my ear, and I fell asleep until I was woken by the sun. This happened twice. Uh, in part one, we discussed in detail, and Dr. De Krukot highlighted this could be a form of an epileptic uh, attack. Now, next up, we have another one. We have slide number 150. We have Ibn Qayyim, and in his Tafsir of Mawazatayn, he mentions, this, they say, the scholars, that the magic that afflicted him was a temporary illness which God cured him of. There is no shortcoming in that and no defect in any way. For illness is permitted for the prophets as well as fainting. For he, peace be upon him, fainted in his illness, and he fell when his feet was dislocated and his leg was grazed. And this was... Uh, the one where he was afflicted with magic, where he had memory problems and all sorts of other problems. Uh, and he was also losing control of his limbs. We will get into a whole section for that, but just right now that he would faint during his magic spell, right? That's what they're describing. Now, uh, 151, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, in Tafsir al-Jalalain, next slide, we see, I think this is a verse from Surah Najm. Uh, and here we say that when the prophet had been at Mount Hira, where Gabriel had obscured the entire horizon to the west, the prophet fell down swooning after he had asked Gabriel to show himself. So Muhammad asked Gabriel, hey, buddy, can, can I see you? And then Gabriel's like, hey, and Muhammad fell down swooning. So he fainted when he saw the angel. We go to slide 152 next, and this is interesting. Uh, this is from Khasayas al-Kubra Soyuti and on the right says, and from Tabrani, from Asma bin Tomais, who said, whenever the revelation descended upon the prophet, there would be a fainting upon him. Whenever the revelation came, he'd almost pass out. 
And from Ibn Sa'd, from Ikrama, who said that when the revelation dawned upon the Prophet, he would act for a while in the form of a drunkard. This is very specific. Why is he describing this? Is because when you have a seizure, a big seizure, it takes a little while to recover from it. And that means that when by the time you come back, that little uh, phase, you might be acting a little out of your senses. Now we're going to go to the next slide. Majma al-Zawaid, fainting upon revelation. When the revelation descended upon the, him, he would be fainting and swooning. What's funny is the transmitters of this narration are reliable. It says, uh, it's got two chains and one of them has a reliable chain, Sahih chain, perfect. Now we get to slide number 154. Uh, he fainted during Surah Kalsar's revelation. One day Muhammad sitting with his, and he dozed off, but if you actually look at the uh, Arabic, it says that he kind of fainted and then he suddenly woke up smiling and then he said, uh, a surah has just been revealed to me, right? So he was sitting amongst his things and he suddenly just dozed off. Bizarre. 155. Now this was uh, multiple faintings in a single day. This was closer to his uh, end of his life, but as you see, he fainted, got up, fainted, got up, fainted, got up, fainted, got up. It's kind of kind of ridiculous, but uh, we will get to the uh, the cause of his death and speculation about it later on in the full section dedicated to it because he also lost motion in his legs. He had to be dragged and he had a sudden headache and then a severe fever. So this could have been a stroke. Who knows? We'll get to that later on. We have slide number 156. Another scholar says, when the revelation descended upon him, he would be fainting and swooning. And there Transmitter of this narration are also reliable. It's the same narration, different scholar telling you that this is authentic. We go to slide 157. This is Sirat Halabiya, swooning and fainting. When the revelation descended upon the Prophet, he would be overtaken by swooning. In another narration, it says he would be overtaken by unconsciousness or fainting. And the uh, Urdu is there. I'm just going to quickly read it. Jab Rasulullah par wahi nazil hoti thi, to aap par ghashi ki si kafiyat tari ho jati thi. Ek rivayat mein hai, aap par madhoshi ki si kafiyat tari ho jaya karti thi. And then, uh, let's go to the next slide. And we have Tabari. And here Tabari tells us of an interesting one when Muhammad was at Badr. Uh, he says that, Muhammad was scared that his army is going to get crushed. His cloak fell off and he kept praying. And even Abu Bakr was like, okay, dude, like chill out, Muhammad. You're praying a little too much. And then it says, suddenly Muhammad fell a light sleep in the shelter. And then he suddenly woke up and he came up saying, I can see Gabriel holding a horse and the, the teeth of the horse has dust covering it or something. But what's anomalous is on the right side, you have Sahih al-Bukhari narrate the same hadith but it happened on Badr in one, and the other one says it happened in Ohad. So again, I'm pointing out to you these anomalies in the corpus, where even though despite those two being sahih, they're kind of uh, contradicting each other. The next one is very, very interesting. The next one's important as well, because this one is a classic case. So we're going to start off with uh, Tabari on the right side, and he says, this is talking about how Muhammad got married to uh, his adopted son's wife. While the messenger of God was talking with Aisha, a fainting overcame him. When he was released from it, he smiled and said, who will go to Zainab to tell her the good news, saying that God has married her to me? And then he recited the verse. In the footnote in number eight, you see, 
the word ghashia in Arabic, a soon or fainting spell, literally a covering here signifying an episode of revelation. So they're trying to say that Muhammad fainted when he got married to his adopted son's wife. He fainted when he was trying to claim Aisha's innocent. Like, how many times is this guy going to faint? But I want you guys just to see the video. We did watch it last time, but I wanted you to see this video from uh, Michael Wayne Bent, I believe. He's a cult leader from this current time, I would say. Uh, and he, I believe, suffers from epilepsy. And it's very similar to Lucius to Muhammad. Now, it almost seems like he literally acted out Muhammad's marrying his adopted son's wife as like a script. Uh, but in his case, it was actually his real son's wife. So let's watch it, how similar this ends up being to Muhammad. In my time here, um, I thought I'd heard everything. Then Jeff delivered an incredible revelation about his dad, the Messiah. God came down on Michael and forced him to consummate with Christiana. I mean, it was a terrible, strange act of God. He did a, an astonishing thing that... Uh, I was astonished, and so was Michael. Michael had made no mention of sleeping with his son's wife. I got the feeling this was a story I wasn't supposed to hear. And when Michael found out I knew, he asked me for an opportunity to explain just how God had made it happen. Uh, I stood up like this, and um, and suddenly... I was forced down on the floor, and I had to get down. I was down just about like this, and I was in pain, and all I could do was groan. All I could do was kind of rock, and I, I started seeing that the consummation with Christiana was imminent, and I was going to be... Um, I was going to have to do that. I was just laying awake and I was thinking about um, coming over here. And I said to Father, I said, when I go over there, if Michael invites me in, I will ask for the consummation tonight. So was it just a single occasion, this literal physical consummation? No, it wasn't. You, you consummated more than once. Yes. 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 Why is it necessary to consummate more than once? <laughs> Still Snoop Dogg and D.I. That ending gets me, though. Oh. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a sad story, but frick, it's so, so close to Bahamut's story. It's almost like he just lifted it. Uh, but yeah, this, this guy this. actually also ended up uh, getting involved in pedophilia because God told him to. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of interesting with his uh, similarities. But uh. the, the full documentary is worth watching. About it's it's about Wayne Bent. Mm -hmm. He he actually just as an aside, he told everyone that the day of judgment was coming, and it didn't come. <laughs> but anyways, um, it yeah. is worth watching. You learn a lot when you learn hear about doc. Um, cults <laughs> a lot of similarities yeah mm -hmm. all right let's quickly get through this section and in my time here um, i thought i perfect so here we have tarikh ibn kathir and this talks about uh, fainting before death 
and it mentions that uh, his voice had stopped. He could barely speak. Um, and we'll get to this more in detail in the latter half of the presentation. We we're talking specifically on the chapter of how he died or what could his death indicate to us. Uh, but we'll go to the next slide here. And this one's interesting where this one talks about sooning in the cave of Hera. So according to the description of the prophet, he was at that time sooning. So what is he talking about? He's talking about Iqra bismirabbikaladikhalak, so the first revelation. Chanache Aap sallallahu alayhi So when he was reciting this revelation kind of thing, he wasn't fully there. He's saying that he was kind of sooning in and out of consciousness or semi-conscious or not. Now, after this slide, 162 onwards, it's going to be just Shia narrations, and we're going to go uh, quickly through them, but there are just fainting. And this is what I want you to understand. We've gone through a lot of the Sunni narrations now. We're going to converge them back with Shia narrations just to show you that, holy shit, this guy just wouldn't stop freaking fainting. Like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> so, right on. As for the faintness, which used to seize the prophet until he was heavy and perspired, so that was happening from him. Uh yeah, well, let's go to the next slide, 162. This is Bihar al-Anwar, volume 8, 8 or 18, I think. I'll confirm that. Uh, I said to Abdullah, may I be sacrificed for you. The faintness which used to hit Rasulullah when the revelation descended upon him. Let's keep going, 164. Uh, the Prophet would be happened to be among us, companions, and there would be faintness upon him, and he would be hit by perspiration. So then he would wake up. So pretty explicit there, like... Now we have slide 165, right on. Uh, so Al-Sadiq was asked about the fainting which used to seize the Prophet. Was it happening during the descent of Jibreel? <laughs> this is where they get very interesting. He said, no, Jibreel, when he came to the Prophet, would not enter to see him until he permitted him. So the Jibreel would come and like, knock on the door or something. <laughs> so when he did enter to see him, he would be seated in front of him like the sitting of the slave. And rather that fainting was during Allah, the majestic addressing him without there being an interpreter and a middleman. Most of the stuff which relates to the what happened during the seizure and the angel stuff, it's just Muhammad's brain and the people just making bullshit stories up to fill in the gaps. It's like uh, in the first part, Dr. Ramachandran says that the left hemisphere is the ultimate confabulator and that's what it's doing. Uh, but we'll keep going. This fainting keeps getting worse. It's slide 166. All right. Rasulullah Jibril said, this is Jibril instructing me. Then in another state, he would be such that there would be fainting upon him. And then in the second one down underneath, he, the sub-narrator, said, Abu Abdullah, it happened when there was revelation from Allah and Jibril wasn't between them that fainting hit him due to the weight of the revelation from Allah. So what you're seeing is that the wordings, weight of the revelation, the sweating, the seizing, the fainting, they're converging from both corpuses coming together, right? Now we go to slide 167. All right, another one. When the revelation came to him and Jibril was in between, here is Jibril, he said to me in revelation, Jibril wasn't in between that slumber hit him and he fainted from what he fainted from due to the weight of revelation upon him. Yeah, <laughs> a faint upon a fainting. Yeah, the translation's a bit rough, but we get the point. Yeah, 
Oh my God. All right, 168. Now, this is interesting. Remember that camel hadith. The, the Muslims say that the camel was standing and then it sat down because the weight of the revelation. No, it wasn't the weight of the revelation. Like I said, you have to connect the missing part of the hadith in different narrations, different corpuses. When you come together, you see that Muhammad uh, was heavy upon him and there was fainting upon Muhammad. Okay. And in another narration, there was that he was also perspiring. Then the other narration say that the camel would uh, would be standing, it'd sit down, but then get right back up. So what was happening? Was the Quran getting heavy, then light, then heavy, allowing the modulation of the camel weight? <laughs> so what's more likely is given he was fainting, given he was perspiring, uh, and Dr. Ali Sina will ex explain in the video next, but before that, we also find out that it's more likely that this was a seizure, like other seizures that Muhammad had, atop the camel. And Dr. Abbas Sadriya, actually, in his book, straight away saw, saw this and interpreted it as a seizure and not that it was the weight of the camel. Then there are other narrations that talk about this this weight and they are even more bizarre where one says his legs broke, but then one hadith says that the neck, <laughs> neck of the camel snapped. So I'm like, well, Muhammad was holding on to the thing and it probably seized too hard and it just snapped the neck or something. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? Uh, it doesn't. Uh, but we're going to just uh, see Dr. Ali Sina explain it. And uh, we'll keep continuing with the faintings. Uh, the like, fainting prophet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fainting prophet. Uh, Dale Duckworth dropped a, a big 20 saying, good work. Bravo. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Daryl. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Slumdog, as well. Greatly appreciate your support. All right. So now that I got that out of the way, I'm going to play the video. Sometimes he said when he's riding a camel, the camel stops and, and, and knees down. Yeah, Muslims use that as evidence that the power of camel made the, the, uh, the power of revelation made the camel kneel because it was so strong revelation. So intense. So intense revelation. But the fact is that when you are having uh, epilepsy, animals around you, many animals around you sense it. Now they, they train uh, cats and dogs sense it also. Now they trade dogs for epileptic people who senses before the owner himself that they... Falls down. Yeah, it fall, falls, exactly, and warns him. So the animal senses the symptoms probably through smell or something, knows that his epilepsy is coming and warns the owner. So the camel most likely have felt this, the epilepsy coming. It's another indication that he suffered from epilepsy and it's not an indication that he, the power of Revelation made the camel fall because other people were there and they didn't and see it. There wasn't anything. any power affecting. So that's a good point too. That if if why is the weight just falling on top of Muhammad and the camel? Why is like nobody else getting affected there too? Like it's like very specific. Like when you think about it, it doesn't make sense, especially given the other variables that we just went over. He was fainting and all sorts of things. All right, now let's. <laughs> Let's continue so, onwards. We are on slide number 170. More more faintings still to come. All right. I have revealed it for it is my lineage, my attributes. Go away. <clears throat> I looked at a magnificence. My soul went to it, and there was a fainting upon me. Okay, so Muhammad fainted again regarding seeing Allah or something. Let's go to the next slide, 171. I raised and looked at the exaltedness and there was fainting upon me and I fell down on my face and received the ground with my face. And... 
So these sources don't have this. <laughs> oh no, no, we have one. The best of the rest is saved for the last. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we have one coming. The Sony's derelicts, we're coming. We're gonna win too. All right. So, <laughs> uh, and his words during the battle of Ohod, and he had awoken from his unconsciousness. They will never attain. Like, God damn it, guys, stop fainting. Like he's it's kind of it's it's, it's it's concerning. Like, holy shit, dude. How many times are you going to faint? <laughs> Next slide, 173. When I, sallallahu said that, the unconsciousness cleared away from me until I said it seven times, having been inspired. My soul returned to me just as it was. And I was in ruku. So he was praying and he fainted? <laughs> yes. Okay, let's go okay. to the next one. So we went over this again. We're going to go fainted multiple times near that. Uh, ones we went up earlier was the or the ones that we've, uh, this is one, two, three, four, five, six times in one day. Uh, we'll see. Next one now is Dr. Abbas. So he talks about the idea like we've been talking about the multiple faintings, losing motion in the legs, being dragged around, severe headache onset. Could Muhammad have died of a stroke? Who knows? Let's try and find out. Alrighty. And uh, thank you, BB Baba, for the super sticker. Ten dollars. Appreciate it. It is kind of a classical hmm. that the symptoms have got worse. And perhaps as we get older, we have more little strokes in the brain. All humans do. Mm. You take MRI of the brain of people at 63, they are going to have more little holes in the brain mm. than, uh, than, than, than a young person. And that is why they are not as sharp as before. And that is why they are not as eloquent as when they are in Mecca. Mm. I mean, all of those changes, you are mm. seeing that with him at age. And then he is dragging his leg. Mm. Dragging leg means a stroke. Right. Okay. So then more than likely the condition and, you know, when you're having the seizures, gradually with time has got worse and worse and worse. And the possibility of having a seizure uh, or, or, or a stroke or just a lot of employees, one after the other, that is when we get really... Uh, uh, Severe. No, that is when we become very careful with patients. Mm. When you see uh, you know, a couple of seizures right after the other, that is when you call ambulance, make sure they get him and give him IV and so on. These are signs that it is becoming serious and it could be... Right on. So Dr. Abbas quickly touched upon the speculative possibility Muhammad having died of a stroke, whichever might have been causing his epilepsy or the epilepsy might have caused the stroke. We don't know for sure, but those details, like he mentioned, the dragging of the legs, the sudden onset of a headache, and then Muhammad had band-aids or not wet cloth wrapped on his forehead because his fever was so severe. Now, funnily enough, when you get to the last section, we find out that stroke can cause fever. And if you do have a fever after a stroke, that's not good news. And following that, Muhammad passes away. Uh, 
we'll get to that later on. Now, this is the one that I was telling you about, the best for the last for the uh, the Sunni brothers, my guy. Faints during <laughs> prayers, hand of God, cold nipples. Oh my oh, God, God, what is this? <laughs> so Jamia At-Tirmizi on the left side, it says, I got up during the night. I performed voodoo and prayed as much as I was able to. And I dozed off during my salah. So he fell asleep while praying uh, and fell deep asleep. Then I saw my Lord, blessed the Most High, in the best of appearances. He said, Muhammad, my Lord, I'm my Lord, blah, 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 blah. He said it three times. He said, so I saw him place his palm between my shoulders and I sensed the coolness of his fingertips between my breasts. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> He's talking about Allah? Yes. So Allah put his hand on Muhammad's chest or his shoulder. His hand. <laughs> Fingertips. <laughs> oh, wow. That's wild. Oh. <laughs> this is a hustle. Okay. And then on the on the right side, we see Jamia Tirmizi again. So he placed his hand between my shoulders until I sensed the coolness between my breasts. And so I knew what was in between the East and the West. So every all the knowledge was given to Muhammad. <laughs> then in Mishkat al-Masabi, the bottom, that one's Sahih. Uh, okay? uh, he says that uh, he placed the palm of his hand between my shoulder brains and I felt the coolness of it between my nipples. <laughs> and it's is, that, is that like an expression in the Arabic language? Like I felt the coolness in my breasts or something? Maybe it's like... It means something else. Enlightened him, funny. filled him with like coolness. I don't know if it's, yeah, like <laughs> it's just he fainted during prayer. Who faints during prayer, dude? Well, I mean, people do, but like, okay, Muhammad, you fainted during prayer. Given that his fainting from before, it's quite interesting that he sees God making his nipples cold. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So this section is where it gets interesting. Now, another thing. Uh, we're going to find out lethargy and fatigue like we've been and it's been popping up throughout the references that when you do have a large seizure, you're going to end up being confused a little slow. You'll take a little bit to come back to yourself. Let's see how ignorant Farid and his cousin can be and how much more they can lie and impress us with their lies. The second thing. Um, obviously, Gondal has never seen a patient with temporal lobe epilepsy. If you have a seizure, you are not going to be sharp after the seizure. You're not going to be very alert after the seizure. If that seizure is originating in the left side or in the dominant side of, of where, where language dominance usually occurs, um, the patient won't be able to speak after the seizure. Now, the prophet was speaking very well after the, the revelation. The prophet was in, in a very sharp condition after the revelation. Uh, the prophet was being able to recall uh, everything occurring. Now, in a seizure, usually the patient won't be able to recall uh, everything occurring around. Even if that patient was aware, having a focal aware seizure, uh, they would have some difficulty in uh, recalling everything clearly so this is a proof that uh these revelations were not uh seizures <laughs> all right all right we're gonna get a thick end of things so this, we... 
Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, before we get to that, I just want to just say one thing. Uh, Stardust says, coolness in my chest is an expression in Arabic. It means I calm down. I don't know what, maybe he was exaggerating with the fingertips on my nipples. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I think that was the, yeah. So just yeah, to be fair. Okay. okay. All right. So Farid and his cousin say that, like, his cousin is right absolutely when he says that the person is supposed to be kind of like a little confused a little like slow a little lethargic a little fatigued he's absolutely spot on with that but then he says the prophet was not and this is the problem guys you don't espouse such overconfidence in your own ignorance if you don't know the corpus or the evidence don't come out making claims like this and then calling me a liar because now you'll see how terrible how terribly foolish this looks let's get to it 179 before we get to one thing i want to tell you is the prophet did forget the revelation a lot of times he would in fact have seizures but have no recollection of what the angel told him so allah basically would give him ringing bells for with no revelation we'll get to that later muhammad had a transient epileptic amnesia that lasted for six months we will get to that later as well but anyways let's uh, get to that uh, one thing he said before in the ending part of his video was the prophet would, you know, as soon as the revelation ended, Muhammad would be you know, suddenly just like throwing out verses like this. But that's actually not the case, because if you see in this hadith, Muhammad would come to himself gradually after the revelation. This is the same hadith with the same chain, I believe, or sim- similar wordings and chain to the one about the red snorting camel. Right on. Uh, and this the phrase Falama Surayan, who he came to himself gradually, occurs in a lot more narrations. Now we get to is the interesting thing. Slide number 180. What does it say? It is uh, Ibn Sa'd's book. Uh, it's one of the earliest sources. And like Farid's cousin is expecting us to find, when the revelation dawned upon the Prophet of Allah, he looked fatigued as if overcome by sleep. This ties into the section anyways before. If you're connecting the dots, he's already been proven wrong. But let's get to the next slide. We have slide number 181. Ibn When the revelation used to descend upon him, he would become distressing for him and his face would turn ashen. He became drowsy for a while due to that, like the appearance of a drunkard. You can argue about it, so it's not sahih, but not, but it is being recorded again and again. And this is a very interesting wording and very precise because what you do see, and in fact, I have seen patients with epilepsy and seizures. So uh, that is a very interesting uh, observation from his companions. Uh, Yes, go ahead. Can I just add that again? Just want to remind people what I said earlier, which I think makes a lot of sense. This is from Dr. Ba'erman, right? Someone that studied not the Quran, but the New Testament for his entire life. He said one of the ways that you can try to get rid of things which are clearly fabricated is you look for things which are which were written to prove a theological point, you know, a miracle, for example. But when you see things that are not intended to prove anything in particular then you can look at them with a little you can you can consider that maybe this is true because there's no there's no reason for them to make these things up so i'm just going to remind people that if we have all of these collections of him being tired and drowsy teeth chattering and droning like a bee and snorting like a camel none of these things is any benefit for muslims to narrate except if they consider that this was actually one of the signs of prophethood like Mm -hmm. true prophet so they actually narrated it but they wouldn't, how would you, why would you make that something like that? It's just, it, you know what I'm saying? Just to give a little bit more weight to what's being said here. Exactly, exactly. There's no point for them to make any of it theologically. It makes their prophet look worse. 
Anyways, now we'll go to the next slide. Uh, slide number 182, Musnad Ahmad Latarji. So whenever he was inspired, he would be seized by signs of torpor or fatigue. The chain is there, seems pretty reliable, is uh, believe Hassan or Sahih. Let's go to the next slide. Musnad Aisha, we talked about this uh, screenshot earlier in terms of the clattering of the teeth, but we'll go over this one more time. And what the word we're looking for is uh, So I think the word al sabat is sleep or slumber or torpor or fatigue. This says a type of sleep or torpor would grip him. And the bottom, he explains the meaning. The meaning of al sabat is sleep and slumber. So Muhammad would be lethargic, torpor, fatigued after the revelation. Let's go to another uh, reference. Here we have Musnad Aisha. And again, and whenever the revelation, uh, whenever he was inspired, he would be seized by signs of torpor or fatigue. We go to another one. And we have Tafsir of Al-Tabari. And this is mentioning, and whenever he was inspired, he would be seized by signs of torpor and fatigue. Now, and other things, these ones might not all be repetitions, but in fact, distinct ones, because these are being narrated under different verses and different tafsis or different verses. Uh, but if you want to look in detail, just pause it and read it. We're going to go to the next one. Another one from Tabari. This one is Surah 58, verse 1. And this one again tells, and whenever he was inspired, he would be seized by signs of torpor or fatigue. Now we have another one. Tariq Muluk wal Imam Ibn Jawzi, a Salafi favorite. He again says, and from Ibn Sa'ad, from Ikramah, who then said, the revelation dawned upon the Prophet. He would act for a while in the form of a drunkard. Now, last slide here, slide number 188, is going to be our very own <laughs> Doctor, uh, one more thing I want to add is, yeah. um, we can see quite clearly there's quite a lot of evidence that, I mean, these guys should know this. Not only was the revelation hard on him, it was draining, it was fatiguing, it was embarrassing. Even companions were embarrassed. Like you've you've demonstrated so powerfully, like you know, and Ali Rizvi just like you know put the nail in the coffin when he said, why would Allah want to kick someone in the balls before giving him a revelation? But that's what he's experiencing. It's like he's suffering so much. He wanted to kill himself. He wanted to, all of this pain and, you know, all of this just for, just for the revelation. It's just like, you wouldn't want, you don't, you don't want Allah to be your best friend. <laughs> if Allah's your best friend, yeah, he has clued basically, right? Yeah. He's going to torture you with his revelations. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. Slow this down, this clip, if you can. It was a, uh, 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 an energy-draining experience to be inspired by Jibreel. was not an e painful. It was a, uh, 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 an energy-draining experience to be inspired by Jibreel. was not an easy task. And Allah says, we're going to give you a heavy revelation. So again, just to reiterate that this was an energy-draining, fatigue-inducing, torporal, lethargic experience. And Muhammad wasn't just sitting there after the seizure finished and he starts spewing out the whole that's not what happened guys stop making this up the literature doesn't suggest that there are instances where he might have spewed but uh worses but they always always say that there was time where he took a little bit to come back to himself right another thing we will get to later on a doctor they explained is that link it's not that the seizure is causing the revelation at all in fact the person has lingering thoughts and the seizure might exasperate or exaggerate those thoughts and that is what ends up coming out as revelation 
Because a lot of the times the patient doesn't remember in the, the grand mal attacks because he's seizing. Sometimes he'll remember some details, but most of it is thoughts from before that get filled in. And then the left hemisphere confabulates. Mm. But yeah, and um Black Angel says, Don't forget even Angel Jibzil squeeze him like ketchup. Remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That was funny. So this one is gonna be a very important one. Because this one, we're going to go into a little bit of a conspiracy where Ooh. somebody's hiding the real translation or the real version of Sahih al-Muslim. Very interesting. So first off, we have slide number 190. So first, we're going to establish what the word we're looking for. Zabd, Tazbad, uh, the side of his mouth had froth or foam appearing upon it. He being angry, froth or foam appeared upon each corner of his mouth. We've established the word, the meaning we're, we're looking for. Now, the next slide is a little bit dense. I'm going to read it out to you. And I'm going to explain to you what's happening here. On the first line, I say, uh, This is the reading that appears in the modern form, Sahih Muslim, and his face color underwent a change. But Imam Bayheki, now this exact same hadith was reported by Bayheki as he read it in his version of Sahih Muslim and published in his Sunan al-Kubra between 994 and 1066 AD. But he reads it as the following, and his mouth face with foam or froth. It's one letter, tarbad or tazbad, one dot. A minor variation from the letter changes the meaning. Now, Suyuti comes along. This exact hadith is reported by Imam Suyuti in his work on the Quranic revelations. Again, he quotes from Sahih Muslim. He died in 1505. So this is about 500 years after Bayhaqi. Despite being separated by 500 years from Bayheki, he also reports it in the following. His face would foam or froth. Another guy comes along, Ibn Hamza and this other guy, Ibrahim bin Muhammad, published in 1911. Recent, they also narrate the exact same hadith from Sahih Muslim in the following way. And his mouth would face foam or froth. Abi Sarhan, Mas'ud bin Muhammad, Originally published in the 1700s, this scholar also narrated the following words in his book, with Tazbad. Carl Fander, remember the Christian scholar? He also narrated the word Tazbad. Then Ibn Kathir, in his tafsir of Surah Nur, written in 1301, the letter Za is found in the footnotes, and he points that this could be read like that, validating the meaning frothing or foaming during revelation from the mouth. So what happened here? Is it a, a copying error, deliberate change to Sahih Muslim or vice versa, or both readings are valid? Now I'm going to show you the evidence from the books where the word changed. Right on. So first we have Sunan al-Kubra by Hikyab expanded the same image on the right side. And you can see it's Tazabada. So here he says, he's reading this from Muslim. As you can see, he says, uh, the same hadith Obada bin al-Samid, we'll get to that. Muhammad's face is foaming and frothing. Okay, now we have the next one is Al-Aqlil by Asuyuti. I found this on the left side first in on the online version. So I was like, maybe they put the dot in the wrong way. It could be PDF auto-generated mistake, right? He says it would foam. I tracked it back to the PDF printed version and I found the exact same thing again. As Bud, it says, Suyuti saying that Muhammad would indeed foam or froth from the mouth. Now we go to the next one. We have Abi Sarhan bin Masood. His PDF is right there as well. 
And as you can see, he actually also additionally narrates the wording that Muhammad would act like a drunkard at top. And then underneath where you are right now, he says his face would froth or foam, the word za. Go to the next one. We have Tafsir of Ibn Kasi. Now he narrates it as in the Tarbad, but if you look at he puts a number and in the footnotes he says Fiza, Tazbad. So you can read it as foaming and frothing as well, meaning he's at the same time validating both of them. So, and then we go to the next one. We have Mizanul Haq by Carl Fander, and he also translates that as Tazbad. What Tazbad? Going next, we have another one, Ibn Hamza, Ibrahim bin Muhammad. And he says, as you can see, highlighted with Tazballahu Wajuhu. So again, foaming and frothing from the mouth of Muhammad. And now we get to what we have in the current version of Sahih al-Muslim. So this hadith, Ubaidah bin Samit, in the current version of Sahih Muslim, comes up with the Ra. But these scholars from what, 10, 500... They've been saying that they kept reading it as Tazbad and they've been reporting it, extracting it, and putting that, writing it in their books as foaming and frothing. This is quite interesting because if you understand the gravity of this, Sahih al-Muslim has explicit hadith saying that when revelation came to Muhammad, his face would start foaming and frothing. It's much more severe than just his face color changing. Uh mm -hmm. And there's only a difference of one dot between za and exactly, exactly. Yeah. This also gives us more of an idea of the nuance associated with doing this research, the corpuses, and how different scholars will approach things differently. Mm. All right, <clears throat> should we go next? Do we have time to finish the next one, or should we uh just I take mean, comments now and end it off? Next one is very interesting where we have a few, uh, we could do it if you want. Uh, it's about his head turning. This is a very interesting specific incident where Muhammad's head turned to the ground and then he talked to some invisible being mm -hmm. and then his eyes went up and then... Okay. We'll do one last section then. Yeah, and then one we'll last section and call it a night. We'll go a few comments and then we'll end off. Perfect, right on. All right, so the first one, this is head twitching, foaming, clattering, teeth again. This is Imam Jalaluddin Suyuti's book english translated by these great scholars i'm gonna leave their names that you can see in the bottom left in the screenshot they translate his head would twitch he would foam at the sides of his mouth he would feel cold in his incisors and he would break into a sweat until it flowed down like pearls uh so as we see that there's head twitching and then there's foaming in the mouth now, headaches and head twitching and migraines are a common occurrence this do happen with the epilepsy seizures we're going to go to the next one and we see if Muhammad had some other headaches or stuff like that. Uh, on the top, we see from Sirah bin Qasir, never once did I receive revelation without thinking that my soul was being seized by it. And then when this happened, we could still see his eyes remained open while his hearing was made empty and he would get a headache and we would cover his head with a henna plant. So we're getting hadith about Muhammad having headaches. Now, if we go further, we have another hadith which will tell us it's the same one from earlier at Khan Quran in Urdu, where Muhammad's uh, head would start spinning, his face would go pale, and his teeth would start clattering. Now we're getting to migraines. And this is interesting. This is so interesting because if you look <clears throat> at the bottom left in the Sahih al Bukhari reference, which is saying, 
The Prophet was cupped on his head for an ailment he was suffering from while he was in a state of ihram. Right? Ibn Abbas further added, the Prophet was cupped on his head for unilateral headache while he was in a state of ihram. Muhammad taught that cupping himself on the head, which is you make a puncture mark and you suck blood out through a pressure cup, is somehow good. It is not good. Do not do that. We will get to it in a little bit. It is a terrible, terrible idea. It can lead to bleeding underneath your skull and can cause memory loss, which ended up happening to one of his buddies. We established on the left side, we see Muhammad would cup himself on the head. Then we see in the bottom hadith that he would have migraines, unilateral, i.e. one side of the head. And in the middle, we have the book, of, I think this is Ibn Tayyim's book, Qadi Ayyad said, sorcery and illness befell the messenger. And to cure himself from it, Muhammad took a horn <clears throat> and had his own head cupped with a horn to cure the black magic causing him the forgetfulness and headaches and stuff. So like this guy was just like on another level, like he's just doing this. But what we're seeing here is evidence of his migraines. The point that he has to self-treat himself to this extent shows that the problem was affecting him or causing him inconvenience. <clears throat> On the right, we see migraines and epilepsy. If you want to read about it, you can. It just talks about how migraines and epilepsy can coexist and whatnot. Now, uh, next section is, sorry, next slide. So he's, he is just using the, the so-called science of his era. This is prophetic medicine. Yes, basically yes. Like, you know, this is what they told him to do, so he did it, right? Muhammad, the great medical neurologist, <laughs> have a headache, you cup yourself. <laughs> well, anyways, let's watch this little video. It is an adhesion. It is not a symptom mm. like when I am the sound of the bell. But when they ask him why you do it, he says it is good for headaches and insanity. Mm. Well, then that means that he's scared of insanity and he's having headaches. Mm. These are all pointing to having some kind of... So as we saw that Dr. Abbas mentioned some stuff about headaches. Uh, now I was thinking we still have about 10 more slides to go in this section. Okay, let's, yeah, yeah, we can do the 10 slides and then we'll, then we'll finish it. Yeah, yeah. That's now we've established that there's headaches. These are... Uh, some thing that's common, co-occurring with seizures and epilepsy and migraines. Now we are at Sirat Halabi again, and we're talking about headaches and fainting. So he talks about Alama Sheikh Muhayyuddin He says, Dusre tamam par jab wahi aati thi to par chat jaya karte the. So he's saying that all the prophets, when they would get a revelation, they would lay down on the ground flat all of a sudden. <laughs> Including Wayne Bent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, now he goes on. He came back as a mean person. He was 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 a mean person. The reason why these prophets were laying on the ground was to prepare themselves for the messenger of like Gabriel coming to them. Because if when he comes to them, they would kind of lose their senses. So if they were kind of on the ground, they'd be okay. 
And then it goes uh, after that, Hazrat Abu Huraira said that when the Prophet would get the revelation, that his head would hurt and then we would cover it with the henna plant. And yep, that's that for that slide. But it's interesting that all the other Prophets are fainting. <laughs> now here, this is very interesting. This is the very, very, very specific bit that we got to focus on. Can you explain what is head turning? What does that mean? Like, what, what are they like? What does that mean exactly? We're just getting to this now. Okay. So a lot of the times in seizures, what will happen is if you have a focal onset where one side of the brain is being affected or a seizure starting from there, you sometimes have a pulling of the face to the opposite side or one side of the same. And then you start becoming interested. What follows is an automatism where you'll shake your head you'll see stuff or you'll move your lips or whatever and then you'll come back as if nothing happened this can then become a secondary generalization in some cases now what we're seeing here this is when i talk about the things that they recorded are too precise to have been faked this is the one where you really get to see uh an interesting interesting case here <clears throat> this is the story of osman ibn Mad'un. And it's a Hassan hadith. It's uh, been graded by uh, Ibn Kathir. And then uh, Ahmad Shakir actually said it was Sahih. So the messenger uh, was sitting in his courtyard. Usman bin Mazun, one of his friends, passed by and smiled at the messenger of God. The messenger of God said, would you want to sit down? He said, certainly. So the messenger of Allah sat facing him. And while they were talking, the messenger of Allah became look began looking up at the sky, looking at it for a while. Then he brought his gaze down until he was looking at the ground to his right. Then the messenger of Allah turned slightly away from his companion Uthman to where he was looking. Then he began to tilt his head as if he was trying to understand something. And Ibn Maz'un was looking on. When the matter was finished, he had understood what had been said to him. And the messenger of Allah started, stared at the sky again as he had the first time, looking at whatever he could see until it disappeared. Then he turned back his face to Osman. Osman said, Oh, Muhammad, I've never seen you do anything like you did today while I'm sitting with you. The messenger is like confused. What did you see me do? Osman said, I saw you staring at the sky. Then you lowered your gaze until you were looking to your right. Then you turned to him and left me. Then you tilted your head as if you were trying to understand something that was being said to you. So what's happening here is the, the fight after that messenger that's like sit down. <laughs> it's like no acknowledgement of anything. Just continue it's like go away, kind of. <laughs> so what's happening in this one? This is a very interesting, and I'll let Doctor Abbas explain it. But I'll just act it out. Where Muhammad is talking to his friend, and mid conversation, he suddenly goes like this. And then just comes back. So this kind of weird thing happens. And why does this happen? This is very specific. These are the things which when I say that you cannot fake them. This is way too specific to be fake. So we'll have Dr. Abbas explain it. Listen attentively. Oh, for sure, which just pins it down, is that one incident that uh, when... Uh, He's uh, walking and one of his friends calls him. Like, they're very close friends and come right. sit next come to him. And, uh, and, and then uh, he notices that suddenly that he's, 
he begins to move and his head goes to the right and down and the eye moves to the right and gets focused on the ground and then it looks like he is having conversation with somebody and then the head comes back and goes up and then the person, his friend, asks him, what happened? And interesting, he didn't know. He said, what did I do? What happened? What did you see? And he says, I saw that you did this. Mm. So now we have two different phenomena here. First of all, it is in the left side. It is causing to the movement to the right, movement of the eye to the right, the head being focused on the ground. That's it. That, that is and he here. forgot it. And forgot it. Has to ask the friend, what did I do? Mm. The friend says, well, this is what to happen to you. And then he said, well, the angel came to me and I talked to him and he said something in Arabic that I don't know if it's a verse of right. Quran or not. And then he went up in the air. So, okay, forget the little details. You have someone who is having a condition in which he's losing consciousness, but not bad enough to fall on the ground. Mm. And during a conversation even. Even in the conversation. And the movements are precisely the movements which is happening in the left side of the brain. Mm. Because everything is moving right. to the right and down. So that was a very interesting one. And why I wanted to show you this, like even he says that the detail, it's just it's too specific what he's trying to say. And this allows him, Dr. Abbas, to somehow speculate in a way where he can maybe suggest that the localization of Muhammad's uh, epilepsy was on the left side of his brain. Um, but this is just an interesting one. Now I'm just going to quickly go through these next two slides. These are just a repeat of the same story just to prove that it is authentic. So if we just go there, we have Sahih Sira by Al-Ahad al-Makki narrates that Asbab al-Nuzul narrates the same thing. In slide 209, we have uh, two other references to show you that this is, in fact, authentic. It's an early story. Tabqada bin Sa'ad and Hujjatul Alameen fil Mu'ajizat al-Mursaleen. And now I wanted to show you how this would manifest the exact head turning in a patient if it was happening today. This is where it gets insane. Here's what automatisms look like. So here's a child, he's now turning a little bit to the right. You can see some what we call lip smacking movements in his mouth. He's just staring off. Seems to be interested in the right side of the world. It may be a manifestation. I'd suspect a seizure may be coming from the left. And now it's kind of over and she's back to it. Looks a little confused. May, this may still be part of the seizure, actually. Probably is. And now it's done. Okay? So that was a, a partial complex seizure emphasizing... So that was a very interesting video where the uh, patient looked down on the right. 
We have one, two, three slides to go. We have. Yep. So just to emphasize um, the, the the importance of this, just to kind of make a point out of this, this incident, what this shows is it shows multiple things. It shows also that seizures sometimes they're not, um, I guess you call them local versus uh, general seizure. This is more like a local seizure. This is not a general seizure, right? So this is something that's limited to a specific, you know, thing. The mm-hmm. man or the boy is still sitting there, looks to the side, and then he's like, well, what happened? Did I just do something? He didn't even know what happened. Muhammad, this exact same thing happened Muhammad. But, like, he's still there sitting with people. and try- It's not always the case necessarily mm-hmm. that you're, like, you know, on the floor shaking and, you know. Exactly, exactly. Like, there's definitely seizures, complex, partial, simple, partial, where you don't lose consciousness completely, right? You might lose somewhat of your consciousness. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was now, in the next slide, we have just to affirm that this isn't actually an anomaly, but does happen. So what I want to tell you is like uh, you can have this kind of thing and you might have a secondary generalization where you might start convulsing after this or this might just stop and you might return back to normal. It depends on a person to person, case by case basis. But I just want to show you that how it might look like. And you'll see again, this guy, focal epileptic seizure caught in camera. Uh, this patient looks to the right and then starts talking or appears to be talking as well. We'll watch these. And another video in the middle is actually happened at the neurologist appointment with the doctor sitting in front of her. So that one is a very interesting one. John. As you can see, his head's kind of pulled to the ground on the right. And he was like moving his lips. As if he's talking to somebody. Second day to Second seizure. Second seizure muneto. And now he comes back all of a sudden. He's like, what's going on? It looks like they might have taken this video for to show the doctor, right? Yeah, exactly. Imagine, now, uh, imagine we had videos of Muhammad. companions <laughs> to show as a doctor. <laughs> hey, Courtney. Full screen. Can you open your eyes? Show me your tongue. Courtney. To notice her Courtney. face is going down to the right side again. Can you show me your tongue, Courtney? Show me two fingers. Her head Courtney. goes up again. Her side goes up. Courtney, show me two fingers. Can you hear me? Now, she has a secondary generalization in this case. Courtney. <laughs> Courtney, look at me. Courtney, here. Here, relax. Relax. Courtney, we got you. We got you. Courtney. Courtney. Another thing to notice that she doesn't have full-on tonic-clonic seizure movements. She's just stiffening up. Again, another why I'm visualizing this for you so you understand when they say he was Courtney, gripped by 
when the companion would say he was gripped by severe agony or pain, it would look something like this and not literally sometimes like convulsions because these are tonic phase of the, uh, the seizure. Uh, but uh, the seizure for this person is over. But this happened at the neurologist clinic. It's uh, it's very interesting, like how her face went to the right side, then it went up, and then she had a generalization. Uh, the third video is similar. The third video is actually very interesting, where he points and he sees something. He can blow this one up. Hey, Andy. They're, on, they're on the way, Mister. <laughs> The chewing movements <laughs> made as those. Andy, can you sit down? Here, can you sit down? Here, just sit down in this chair. Andy, sit down. Sit down in the chair, Andy. Watch now how he turns as if he's looking at something. Andy. He saw Andy, an angel. Down. Andy. Andy. Oh God. In this case, this person had a uh, secondary generalization. Uh, but yeah, you can pause the video now. Uh, but just to show you that this idea, this face turning to the side, to the right side or the left side, and then either you having a generalization stiffening or then coming back. It happens. Uh, we saw like four videos and they, all of those videos shared some remarkable uh, similarity to the description that Muhammad was given by his friend that your face went up, down, fixated on the ground. You seem like you're talking or understanding something. Then it went back up and then you were kind of like, what happened? So, uh, that's what I wanted to show you. Do, do, do. There's just our last two screenshots in this section, and we'll call it a day. Uh, this, again, is about Tariq ibn Kathir, headaches before death and loss of leg motion. We'll get to it more uh, later on. That He talks about Muhammad complains about a headache, and his headache gets worse. And suddenly, with the headache getting worse, he loses his leg motion. It's almost too sudden to be at a coincidence. Uh, that it, uh, it seems more like a, a stroke or something. Uh, and then he had to be dragged away. Now, another thing is when we are in the section of headaches, the last slide is why does Muhammad keep talking about the benefit of a headache? The headaches are a blessing. Is because he had a problem with his headaches. He was cupping himself. Uh, and he's having unilateral headaches and all sorts of stuff. Uh, headache is a means of forgiveness and reward. A headache that afflicts a believer. Expiation for the sin. And one of this is interesting. Also, not having headaches is a bad sign because the people destined to go to hellfire do not have headaches. So he's <laughs> saying that not having headaches is a bad sign. If you don't have headaches, you go to hell. Like what? <laughs> headaches are from the signs of the people of Iman. Ibn right? Hajjab said that. Wow, <laughs> this is definitely personality cult of Muhammad. Like, seriously. Look at I, this I, one. How you call it? Have you ever felt a headache? The man said, what is a headache? He said, a vein that beats in the head of a person. The man said, no, I've never experienced that ever. The prophet oh, said, whoever would like to see a man from the people of hellfire, then look at this man. What the frick was that? That and, is crazy. And it says, this website claims report by Ibn Hama Hibban and graded Hassan, by, Hassan Sahih by Al-Ambani in his Sahih. Oh, well. uh, having headaches are a sign of the people of Iman and the people of Jannah. 
headaches are the signs. Uh, then he brings the babadilu. Yeah, anyways, we get the point that headaches are a good thing to have, apparently, as per Muhammad. And if you're free from headaches, you're going to hell. <laughs> Uh, but this all just to show you that Muhammad indeed had headaches and lots. Like today we covered a lot. We can convulsions, clattering teeth, fainting, lethargy, headaches, head spinning, twitching, face turning, head turning. Uh, but yeah, this was a very heavy detailed episode. We went through a lot of material. Uh, we showed a lot of uh, Farid videos as well. Just to show you that those guys, those two guys are just clueless and uh they're going to be more clueless as time goes on. I'm just going to quickly show you guys. I'm not going to show you guys. Talk about what we're going to be going over in the next episode. So what we have remaining is we got a face color snorting breathing problem section. A couple of more seizure videos, Farid videos, some sweating, severe sweating of Muhammad. Uh, then we have lip smacking to go for Muhammad. You already saw the movement lips that in some of the videos. We're going to see more of those with more uh, examples. We have absence seizures of muhammad uh then we have black magic and amnesia where he would forget memory he had huge memory problems uh he was in fact completely out of his mind lost his sight he was actually temporarily blind too for a bit it's very interesting post-ictal blindness or uh, stuff like that um uh, after that we are gonna then switch uh tones and we're gonna switch gears to going over his personality changes so by slide 272 we will be done with his symptoms as in the physical symptoms during the revelation itself and then we'll switch gears to his personality changes like his anger issues his violence issues hypergraphia his sex life are there any other people like muhammad uh, famous epileptics and uh, like that uh, but this was an amazing episode had a lot of fun um someone said uh a solid xtc our favorite was cold nipple <laughs> cold nipple oh man that was funny yeah. allah made his nipples cold yeah um one more comment i want to read the daisy neo is a place named muhammad with abdulaziz or anybody else like mm -hmm. michael mm -hmm. and muslims will have no problem accepting this as evidence for epileptic seizures but you they can't accept it when it's about muhammad which is which is called, which is fair. I mean, I understand there's some sort of defense mechanisms being put up there. Um, I just want to remind people that we have lots of other evidence against Islam. This is not the only thing. So there's lots of content out there that we put together. Quranic preservation, you know, the the two Abdullah shows. There's a lot of funny episodes, like we the absurdities in Islam. It's not limited to this. This is just one angle, right? Mm -hmm. And all the different angles together you know, support each other to show, you know, if someone asked me, you know, is there any way for you to go back to Islam? It's how it's so annihilated. It's so finished. It's so done. It's just not, how could it be possible? I mean, it is possible theoretically, but how it's like, <laughs> it's just so dead. It's after all of these things that we've shown and we've seen, there's no reason to believe in this religion anymore. It's just, there's just no reason. Mm hmm. Like at, at certain points, you have to ask yourself, right? Like, how long can you sustain and live in denial that this guy is clearly the first time you'll come across this, you'll be in a state of denial, obviously. But then over time, you realize that, okay, it is more likely that this guy was suffering from a mental disorder and apply Occam's razor to it than you accepting that, oh, angels are true. Like, 
think about it for a second. A guy hangs out in a cave all by himself and hearing voices. And then an angel tells him the secrets of the universe who nobody else can see. Mm-hmm. Only he gets to hear the secrets. And for some reason, the bizarreness of all of this, he's squeezing him like a ketchup bottle, kicking him in the nuts every time he comes to talk to him. It's, it doesn't make sense. It clearly appears like... Uh, a mental disorder kind of gone out of hand and even Muhammad himself not believing himself in the beginning kind of pushed to it. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's just so much evidence. Like you can't, you can't go, but you can't unsee this. Once you see this side of Muhammad, there's no, no one seeing it. And that's why I say like, uh, if you're a Muslim and you watch this, this is going to bother you for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, any final words you want to add? So we, we're excited to continue doing this. There's a lot more content. Um, this is like an epic. This is, you know, something that, you know, it's like a lifetime. I don't want to call it over exaggerate how much work this is, but this is a lot of work that went into doing this. So uh, please do share this content with other people. This We've seen the comments, Muslims saying that this has shaken the Iman. And we're doing this for the good of others. Like this is all for you guys, for for humanity. Mm-hmm. We don't get no jannah, no huris, no nothing, no no money even for doing this. I mean, I guess we do get donations, but you know, that's that just covers the time that's involved. But for the amount of effort that's gone into this, this thing needs to go viral. We need to share these videos, and I'll be making clips, of course. Um, final words to you, uh, Gondo, before we close off. Uh, for me, it was amazing being here. We have lots more to go. It's amazing doing this, uh, having a lot of fun in the comments as well, interacting with you guys. Thank you so much for the uh, continued support and thank you for your donations. Uh, please share it. And like Samir said, this is uh, attacking Islam or undoing Islam <clears throat> in a very unique way at its core, where you're pulling the carpet out of under their feet in in a completely unexpected way and you're showing them that at the end of the day whatever you come to you have to accept that muhammad was going through convulsions or something no matter what you come as an explanation for it you have to deal with it that my prophet was convulsing sweating snorting like a camel while he was getting revelation and there's no going around it uh I do this because I also feel this research is pivotal. <clears throat> it's actually uh, paradigm changing. Uh, if this gets out and this becomes normalized, that people start questioning his sanity, the way conversations happens, the way the discourse, it's completely upended everything. And that's what we need to do. We need to show them these evidence and be like, yo, it looks like your prophet was more likely to be crazy. Well, not say crazy. I'll repeat the uh, accusation of the Makkans, Majnoon than uh, Rasul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not only Islam, though. It's all the meaning, you know, all prophetic religions, let's say, not all religions. Buddhism is a non-profit religion, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, thank you, Sarah um, Rainey, for the $5 super sticker, Storm Pilot for the two... Uh, British pounds and um, yeah to all of you for joining us uh, we appreciate it it's uh, it's been a it's been a blast and a halal blast and we will will continue on this series and once this is done uh, we'll start taking calls again so we'll do the call-in show at some point Um, it's just at this point in time we want to get through all of the documentation Mm -hmm. we want to make the case 
right? Exactly. What makes the case, and you know what happens is when you when you look at Brother the Sheet's content, this stuff it hangs around the internet for a very long time. So we're in 2021, October right now. 2022, 2023, 2025, people are going to be watching this content. Years later, people are going to be so grateful and thankful that this was put together for them for the benefit. So, you know, the people that came before us, Hassan Radwan, um, you know, and others that, that did this work, they did the heavy lifting. Now it's over to us and it's on, and then it's going to be on to the next, next crowd, the younger people, people like Apostate Aladdin and Infinite Noodle, Infidel Noodle, these younger ex-Muslims are going to carry the torch until eventually our content will become redundant and you won't need us. We won't need to talk about this stuff anymore. We'll talk about other stuff. But at that point, we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to becoming redundant so that when people are able to leave Islam with no consequences, with no penalties, when when freedom of religion becomes a right, a freedom of irreligion is also a right, when people can choose to be believe in God, not believe in God, no matter what they want to follow or believe, whether they're gay or straight, whatever the color of the skin is, people are treated the same. That's our goal. This is what we want. We want to promote these values, secular humanistic values. And this is what we're standing up for. This is what we believe in. It's not about, at the end of the day, whether you leave Islam or not, although it is probably, we feel it would be better for you to leave Islam. At the end of the day, what matters is the rights, everyone's rights are there. And frankly, it's, it's everyone's right to know that Islam is false. Right, so they don't make a sacrifice, and they end up giving up something that they'll never get back. So you know, both of us, we sacrificed a lot before we became Muslim, and now we're sacrificing a lot after we left Islam to show others. So I hope you enjoyed this great show, and uh, you'll join us again for the next one. Until then, science, science habits. habits.